I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Liam Haber. And we love to watch. We love to watch Luda Christmas. Luda Christmas. Credits ended because I was candidly so excited for it to be over. Could not the 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 excitement in the room was palpable. And then I was like, "Fuck!" There's that song I got to remember. I I listened to, so I had to turn it back on. It did the thing where it restarted. <laughs> I fast forwarded back to the credits and I listened to it for thirty seconds. I'm like, I get it. Uh, yeah. It, Terrible experience all the way around. We're going to talk about it, which makes sense because we're we love to watch a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. We're on our second week of cursed Christmas and holy shit, is it a cursed? Yeah, this is a cursed Christmas. This was uh, this was a rough one. And now who, this is one where sometimes it's cursed Christmas. We're talking about movies, Christmas movies that we hate. A little treat for us in the holiday season. We're not usually a bad movie podcast. We get to internalize a lot of anger and disappointment, and you know, spend the holidays feeling kind of sad. Um, normally, we're our own worst enemies. We curse ourselves. This time, we were cursed by our guest. Uh, returning champion Liam Haber, who picked a movie um, that I think uh, he's like, I want the longest possible Christmas movie. I want the most amount of uh, noted uh, sex pest uh, Kevin Spacey. Sex pest. And I want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really want to just ruin their Christmas. So, Liam, thank you for joining us. And secondarily. How dare you? Um, How dare you show your face around here? Yeah. <laughs> I am happy to have dared. This is, uh, I mean, we're going to probably get into like our origin stories and stuff. I saw this movie in theaters when I was a child because I am young. Um, and I, it was maybe the first movie I ever saw in theaters and hated. That's a big, that's a big moment where it's you're big, like, yeah. oh. They can make movies that on paper I should like and I don't like it. Yeah. And that's kind of what Fred Claus was for me. I saw the movie in theaters with my family and I was like, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I was 10 years old or so. And I'm yeah. like, no, this is this is reprehensible. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, before I understood that it had three academy three academy award at least three academy award winners in it and oh my god uh, also before i mean I, I don't think they still have them after this movie yeah no they were taken away they were taken okay. away but also um the the other movies that you gave me um i just pulled it up it's surviving christmas which i do remember <laughs> but i have no recollection of 
Reindeer mm-hmm. Games, which I've never seen, and Jingle All the Way, which I have a strong hatred for. Yeah. Um, cause we should we should know those are the four movies we're going to do this month. We we didn't do I we said this in the green room or whatever. We're not doing any of those movies this month. <laughs> we we were like we we had aired so hard that we're like no thank you. And I can guarantee Liam if you had not picked Fred Claus out of the dustbin of obscurity, we would have found something else to cover too. I don't know what was going on with me and like we should do a bad Ben Affleck Christmas cuz I had both his action movie that's terrible and his James Gandolfini Meet the Parents Christmas movie that's also I was like, I got to talk about Ben Affleck this Christmas, and instead, yeah, we're not. You're, you're talking. It's okay. The, in the keeping of this, the the overall podcast uh, theme or spirit, um, we very often like to cover four cursed Christmas movies, and it's most fun when at least one of us has a half-hearted defense of them. Yeah. Um. Or they, if nobody does. They have to be a little sticky. Like, they have to yeah. stick in your mind a little bit. They have to be, like, a little bit beguiling. Um, unfortunately, Santa with Muscles was not as sticky. Um, Santa with Muscles was, like, clearly, like, a tax dodge or something. Um, but um, Liam doesn't know this. He hasn't listened to the episode yet. It was produced by Jordan Belfort. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street. No, yeah. I figured it. Um, no. <laughs> no, I, a totally different one. Yeah. <laughs> You, you never know quite what you're going to get uh, with this particular grab bag of a month. Uh, last year, we covered a f- few movies that I had seen uh, that I had verified were bad, but had kind of stuck in my mind, like Mixed Nuts and A Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the Ron Howard film. Yeah. Um, I already watched that this year again. My kids <laughs> wanted to watch it. St- I said I already rewatched. Oh yeah, it's it's terrible. Still, I it's you still didn't terrible. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are like, "Give me the nuts." <laughs> I uh, not to interrupt you, Peter, but no, I um, well, the first movie I saw in theaters in the year two thousand was Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Okay, I saw that in theaters with old Alec Baldwin. Little Alec yeah. Baldwin, little literally, he's like six yeah. inches tall in that. I mean, yeah. you know, um, he's he's taking over the job from Ringo Starr. Yeah, and uh, and George Carlin, who I watched as a child. All I mean, the 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 three legends of British comedy: mm-hmm. George yeah. Carlin, Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr, and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> okay. um, when I think of trains, I always immediately say, "Well, you got a, a Mount Rushmore: Carlin, Starsky." <laughs> Um, Do you think that Carla did so many rails in the 70s and 80s that they were like, <laughs> they, somebody did word association in their head and they were like, he should, he should be the conductor. The, the eight, I think the age divider on that show is if you knew the show was called Shining Time Station <laughs> and and not Thomas the Tank Engine. No, yeah, for but. me it was always Thomas the Tank Engine, but that was the first mm. movie I saw it in theaters. It was like a two in the afternoon screen. It's like yeah. truly one of my earliest memories. I... Mm. Uh, saw it, me, my mom saw it, and it was, you know, summer of 2000, and it, that trailer, or the trailer for How the Grinch Stole Christmas came on, and every yep. child in that theater screams in terror, yep. because the trailer for that movie is actively scary. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's yep. like just a really creeping pan up to Cindy Lou, whose face is you hear her say, you're the, the... And then it cuts to scary Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was that. And then also I saw The Shining too young. 
Um, oh, yeah. Which had a I lot saw of... The Shining too young, too. See, I saw The Shining so young that um, I saw that in my, like, early pubescence in just yeah. the right time that uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen a fully naked woman in full frontal. Hey! And same. that's why I'm gay I- now. <laughs> now, 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 Peter, uh, you say... I- Peter, you yeah, say that's same. why I blindfold myself during sex. Got it. Just in got case it. she turns into an old lady. That's what I assume happens. So that's, that's <laughs> this was a th- this was a thread in our movie group. But it's funny because my, my my first uh, naked naked late my my first naked lady also probably had a really uh, weird effect on me because it was the uh, it was the naked lady from Total Recall. Oh. So I, <laughs> she set very too high of a bar for women. For you way for too high of a bar. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, my my expectations were way off. <laughs> Roughly, roughly, roughly like a third of what a normal. Yeah, about thirty three percent off. My my first my first naked man in Hollywood was when Kevin Spacey invited me back to his place. But oh no! <laughs> We've been waiting for the time that this turns into a true crime oh, podcast. But I guess yeah. we're there. Um, we are definitely yeah, there. Tell your story. Feel free to cut out any of the terrible references <laughs> I'm going to make throughout. To I mean, we got we have to talk about Kevin Spacey, and yeah. we've never had to before. We've never done a Kevin Space. This is your uh, first place. Kevin Spacey. At least I think it's our first the, Kevin Spacey. The, the modern era. <laughs> Um, I don't think we've ever done like I mean obviously I'd love to do seven or something at some point, uh, which is an easy movie to talk about Kevin Spacey because his real life persona and the character really merge in that particular movie as a terrible garbage people. Uh, he also he also just for the record like the Kevin Spacey shit happened uh, a long time ago. Yeah, like it, it, it like that I think people forget like he has been like publicly canceled but still able to somehow work in Europe for like. Over five years, which yeah. means like yeah. the majority of the time we've had the show, we've been like, mm, I want to do seven, but we can't really do seven, can we? Well, uh, yeah, because I recently watched All the Money in the World for the first time, and I, for some reason in my head, was thought it was a 2019 movie, and that's when we found out about Kevin Spacey, and then I found out it was a 2017. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, like, that was five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, the very much one of those, like, when did that come out? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting older and dying. No, it's um, it's kind of crazy how long ago all of that Me Too stuff was. And to let's not not to sidetrack us down the spacey tangent right away, but everyone with some knowledge of gay people in Hollywood knew about Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and when it was officially revealed, it was less of a, oh my god, the way it was with certain people, though everything was always an open secret, and more of a, yeah. oh, now finally people are talking about it kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of like the Louis C.K. thing a little bit. Exactly. Like, um, yeah. But, you know, if I were to guess which Kevin Spacey movies were covered by We Love to Watch, I probably, my first guess, honest to God, in my brain was like, I would have guessed you did Men Who Stare at Goats. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of fun to do Oscar uh, Oscar duds like that, movies that like looked like they would were yeah, Oscar yeah that'd be a good one. Aaron, that movie has him, Clooney, Bridges, and McGregor. I see. No, I've yeah. seen the Men Who Stare at Goats. Um, I like it, it's not a good movie. I love the author of the book though, John Ronson. John You're, Ronson, yeah, he's written. He's he's actually gotten a lot of his work taken to screen. Um. For instance, uh, Frank, I believe was is, yeah uh, Frank, yep, Frank, and Frank is great. Yeah. Love Frank and uh, his book Them, 
um, which is about conspiracy theorists, has yeah. been taken to the screens of CNN on uh, the January 6th riots. Um, <laughs> hey, I need to make a cornball. I need to make a cornball uh, uh, liberal radio joke. Um, but no, but I, I like when I the thing about Kevin Spacey is that when I became a like. You know, I really my my love of film and working in a video store in like the late 90s, like the the type of like younger actors that like were in like just doing from my perspective, like really amazing things. The two that I gravitate towards and they also were in movies that I like was loved as like a 15 or 16 year old were Edward Norton and Kevin Spacey. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was I was really seeking out like, you know, I, I think I I uh Kevin Spacey I first saw in like Seven or American Beauty or somewhere both and I was like these are great performances like I love this and Edward Norton obviously you know Fight Club and stuff like that but I was like seeking out a lot of Kevin Spacey performances for a stretch and I I saw him in movies that like I really like were hidden gems that I would recommend to people all the time like what's a movie that I should watch that I've never heard of like uh, for Kevin Spacey it was always like Swimming with Sharks I don't know if you've ever uh, heard or seen of that movie where he plays like a um, I I forget I think he's just a business executive who basically takes a noted enemy of the show uh, Frank Whaley um, to task and tortures him um, at his at his work and stuff like that and it was like this Ooh. like really call, dark Kevin Spacey or Frank Whaley <laughs> I know I did I, I did not refer well Kevin Spacey's enemy of humanity yeah and Frank Whaley's only an enemy of um, of the of the show but like I. <laughs> Um, there were, there were a lot of those like really bleak, dark, like indie, indie comedies, uh, in the nineties that like were, you could easily find in like independent, you know, video stores. So like th think of like swimming with sharks or like Thursday or last time I committed suicide or, uh, or, uh, 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 well, uh the company in the company of men and stuff like that. Just like these kind of like, if you're watching movies that are like, you know, from a Hollywood band, then you kind of discover like, oh, man, there's all this like weird stuff that has endings and surprises and things that you don't normally see in your Hollywood fair. And like Kevin Spacey was in a few of those types of movies. It, he wasn't someone that like, thankfully, I'm not going to not thankfully for my own fandom. That doesn't make any sense. But he is someone that like post-American beauty really like lost his own actor thread right he was in all these critically can't claim movies and then he was in like miss after miss after miss like i can't i can't think of another person who came off an academy award win i'm sure there's more examples who like struck out at bat from a movie perspective over and over like mm -hmm. whether it's capex or pay it forward or the life of david gale or the shipping news like these movies weren't just bad movies that were unsuccessful at the box office they were movies that were like early memes of what a terrible idea of a movie was and so like it's it's a few years after that where he almost had given up mm -hmm. on being a leading man and he's playing like the villain in a Superman movie and he's playing the villain in whatever the fuck this is for for 20 minutes. So like he well, had this like big rise, but he came down so quickly in a way that was like mockable across the board. Yeah. And also I, I got to note like. But I think his, like, public persona never quite suffered. I'm sure, like, agents in Hollywood had panics over whether or not his, his you know, street value was as high as whatever. Yeah. But, like, for among, like, movie fans and movie dorks, like, uh, he he did have sort of a um, bulletproof armor 
um, on. Because yeah. he could, like, do crazy weird shit and people are like, yeah, it's a terrible movie, but Kevin Spacey's the best part of it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, like, uh, just to take a real quick step back, the way a lot of us and the guests of the show and Aaron, where Aaron and I specifically met is through the Dissolve community. Though every community has its its issues, but like I met a lot of people I very much love and, and care about through that. And one of the principles of the community has always been when someone is publicly outed as a monster, focus on the like actual horrors that this man wrought or this you, you, usually a man, but whatever this person wrought. Um, don't say I always knew they sucked as an actor yeah. or I always hated their movies. Like with the Woody Allen thing, like it, it was like, hey not really relevant to this discussion. Like the quality of their art is completely irrelevant to their quality as a, as a star. And it's not saying separate from the artist from the art. It's actually saying while we're talking, we're trying to inform the community of the fact that someone was victimized by this artist. Don't bring up your, your, your hot takes. Your, yeah. Your, your opinions. Of yeah. I, oh, I, I always knew yeah. Shakespeare in love was shitty. I, I don't fucking care. Like that's irre- irrelevant. Like, yeah. um, I mean, that I, literally is irrelevant. He's yeah. Not, none of those people. I meant that. for Harvey Weinstein. Um, oh yeah. But, but, uh, um, okay. but the, but the, the, that's uh, a very long list. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it was weird watching this movie. And when Kevin Spacey came on screen, I winced like, um, yep. like if I opened a box and I saw a snake, um, and, uh, I winced and then by like, he has a monologue towards the end where I'm like, this is a pretty good monologue for a different movie for a completely different movie. This is a pretty good monologue. And I was like, Kevin Spacey comes off looking okay in this not good movie. Like it's, it's, he's kind of like as an actor, he ends up being kind of bulletproof in a lot of really shitty, awful movies. That is so See, fascinating because I so deeply disagree with you. I disagree. <laughs> I, I disagree too. Like I do think you're right in that Kevin Spacey was usually like he gave good performances in bad movies because he he has a natural like actor ability, whatever. Like he he delivers lines well. He's you know whatever else. But I think that like and. I guess when I look, would look at this, I, I wouldn't necessarily blame Kevin Spacey for his performance in this movie, but his role, the redemption arc, the way that he plays it is just, it's at odds with the movie. And it's not like it's because the tone of the movie is consistent or good. It just, there's just something about it that it's like, he is also bad in the same way everything about this movie is is bad. Like, he's – I don't look at this performance and go, he's the best part of a bad movie. I feel like he is low, He's just as bad as everything else that I've seen in here. I, okay, so just really quickly, my yeah. argument here, my central core argument, is that everything in this movie is this inconsistent mess. It doesn't know if it's a children's movie or a movie for adults, whatever. Um, he is one of the few actors – who makes a decision he looked at the shitty script and he was like this is what my character is and i feel like he has two monologues where i was like he has decided what a character is it doesn't mean it's a good choice for the movie or not but he's like i have made a decision and i will stay consistent with this decision the only other characters i can say that actually do that are elizabeth banks whose role is to be very very pretty and do nothing (laughs) and rachel vice whose role is to be confused and mad at fred claus Mm-hmm. Also, basically nothing. Which is sorry, also, Liam. What are you? Yeah, no. Liam, I was just going to say that Rachel Vice is the also the audience surrogate of this is all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah. no, uh, for the spacey part of it, um, first of all, I wanted to step back two seconds. You said that, uh, Aaron, that he was in Swimming with Sharks a business mogul. He's a movie mogul in that. I, I was I thought it might be a movie mogul. He it works was, in Hollywood, was, which feels I, like I, a, a bit of a telling on yourself kind of thing when you look yeah. back. Um, yeah. But was that a Miramax movie? I mean, a very it probably much could was. have been a Miramax. I have no idea, but it's like a Matryoshka doll inside of another <laughs> Matryoshka doll. Only both of them are made of yeah. feces. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the first times that I ever knew Kevin Spacey, and he kind of did have this characterization across his career, was as a villain. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether I saw Goldmember or Superman Returns first. I mean, I know they're not like the same year, but in my brain, they're roughly around the same time. Um, and in both, he plays the comedic villain playing a version of a villain I already knew. Because yeah. I grew up watching the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. And when I saw Superman Returns in theaters, that was another disappointing movie, much like Fred Claus. At least that one was a superhero movie. And I'm like, but he did fly. That's pretty cool. Damn, yeah. That That is the one thing. This movie has, like, only, almost no fucking spectacle. Like, I don't know what child could make it through this movie and enjoy it. No, like, no. There's almost no, no spectacle. I, I want to talk a little bit about the... We'll, we'll get, yeah, we'll we're get all into that. We're going to have to talk a lot about the special effects, in the, or the lack thereof, yeah. of yeah. CGI budget in this terrible we'll, film. We'll get into all that and the fact that the movie is a high-budget movie with no concept. Um, <laughs> but continually. But, yeah. no, it's just so fascinating that, like, throughout his career... Kevin Spacey kind of did keep telling on himself in certain ways, playing these historical or fictional villains. Um, And then when you get to a movie like this, where he is playing the uh, asshole bureaucrat, we've seen him play, and leaving aside the Kevin Spacey of it all, we've seen him play such sad villains, and we've seen him play such understandable characters where in this movie it's basically a I was sad as a kid so now everyone's going to be sad and my favorite performance in this movie for better or worse is Paul Giamatti as Santa himself because I mean it's not a bad performance but it bums me out like Santa should not bum you out that much no it is the saddest (laughs) version of Santa ever put to screen that said I believe, I think Paul Giamatti, especially in like that final scene with him and Kevin Spacey, where he's like basically telling Kevin Spacey about Spacey's terrible childhood. Yeah. Is making some incredibly subdued choices as Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> um in a way that watching Kevin Spacey blow up, which he does in a lot of movies, including this one, in his He's always so good at playing an explosive bureaucrat. I mean, yeah. Spacey made a career out of that in the 2010s, mm-hmm. in like 2000, uh, not 2001, uh, in 21, or Recount, or yeah, a bunch of other movies where he plays a business. I mean, his star isn't he in like he's in like Margin Call, I think or exactly. One of those. And I mean, or no, what's the one? Uh, what's the United States versus Jack? The um. The casino guy. Yeah, Casino, casino, Jack, casino Jack or Jack. whatever. Casino Jack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but even yeah. his biggest role of the 2010s is House of Cards, where yeah. he's playing 
an asshole that you understand basically every beat he's giving you. And I really do think that leaving aside my intense hatred of Kevin Spacey as a person, um, I've liked Kevin Spacey as an actor a number of times. This is maybe one of my least favorite performances he ever delivers. Oh, yeah. We're not going to disagree on that. No, no, no. Just because... But I, but I, I do think he's bad. I, I really like, think that he... This movie is a complete mess and no one's delivering career best work in it. But I really don't think any character is as annoying as... Like, you can make a bureaucrat fun in a kid's movie. Um... I mean, I know that you're not talking about good Christmas movies this season, but I adore the movie Elf. And movie. This movie is clearly trying to be Elf. So much trying to be Elf. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Elf has Peter Dinklage and James Caan and, oh, who plays James Caan's boss? Oh, the, the, mayor, the, the mayor from Godzilla. Michael, uh-huh. is it Michael Lerner? Yeah, Michael Lerner. Yeah. yeah. And it has Michael Lerner, and all of them are Mayor so... Mayor Ebert, I believe. Yeah, people. yes, he is. Oh, he's Mayor, Mayor Ebert and uh, <laughs> Secretary Siskel or whatever. That's funny. The, really quick, uh, Godzilla was the first movie I saw in theaters that I'm like, oh, wow. I, could, I, could, I could hate this? <laughs> I, could, I could hate a movie yeah. that I'm supposed to like? Godzilla said, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Aaron said, uh-uh, yeah. no. Well, no, I did the thing that a lot of like kids do, where I convince myself that I did, I must have saw it wrong, and I did like it. <laughs> oh, that, you mean like that was the first movie you saw and didn't like in theater? Yeah, I. That was, well, the first movie that like I was excited about, and like, you know, I, I'd seen movies that like I went to yeah. like the Great Panda Adventure that it was like I'm seeing a movie, but I have no expectations for this. Even as a as a kid, it was the first movie where I was psyched about it. I loved Godzilla. And then I saw it, and I walked away just going, like, did I hate that? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Look, the problem clearly was was me. Like, I saw um, Tim Allen's Zoom in theaters. Yeah. Uh, anyone remember the film Zoom? Tim Allen's I'm a, I'm Zoom? aware of it. I have not seen it. Yeah, they go fast, right? <laughs> I think that his power is that he can go fast for, like, 30 seconds at a time. There's some stupid rule to his powers. Anyway, I saw that movie, and I'm like, this clearly isn't good, but I probably just didn't get it. I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Fred Claus is the movie that I'm like, I think movies can be bad. I think I got it. Yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I actually take a step back to the Paul Giamatti thing? Please. Um, because he plays Santa like Harvey Pecor. <laughs> he, he yes. Does. He does. Um, I The Paul Giamatti thing is so troubling for me because I adore Paul Giamatti in almost everything. Uh, he even, he's, he's, He's kind of similar to Kevin Spacey and a lot of these actors where they're like, once they embrace that they're like a character actor, like they will give great turns in terrible movies. They will give great turns in movies no one will ever see. Um, Two movies that are, I think, above that, but like, you know, like I I like them, but are pretty much forgotten now are Cosmopolis by David Cronenberg. Um, Paul Giamatti's great in it. Uh, And then... A movie called John Dies at the End. Paul Giamatti is is great. Oh yeah, too. he's good in that, and he's in the trailer and shit because he's not, he's the only real star in the movie. Um, but Paul Giamatti is fantastic in those movies. He made those movies knowing eh, this might not make much money, but uh, he likes the creatives behind it. He put his performances in. He brings a sparkle of, of energy to the movie. I have to say, um, this is a movie that physical bodies. 
the horror of physical bodies is a big thing for me because uh, we actually talked about kind of jokingly last week about Santa with muscles, how like Santa is actually one of the few fat people that America loves. It's one of the few fat people that America's not fat phobic about. They'll even fetishize Santa. They'll be like, there's a multiple Christmas songs about wanting to fuck Santa. It's usually for presents, but we all got to make, well, mommy, she was doing it just, for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah, mommy was just... You know, mommy was kissing Santa Claus because she's like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> he can get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, like the, the, the freaking, like, there's like, Santa is like somebody that people are like horny for or whatever. They also cast an actor who, while is not um, like super big, Paul Giamatti is a, a a fat actor. I'm trying to get used to saying... I've listened to a bunch of podcasts recently where they're like, just use the word fat. Don't say obese. Don't say overweight. Those are medical terms. Don't you, You're not their doctor. I'm still... It still feel like a childhood bully calling an actor fat. Um, he's but, a bit... He's a bit chunky. Yes. He's portly. Yes. He's a portly yeah. gentleman. Um, but he... But uh, he's, a, he's a BBM. He's a BBM. <laughs> He's he's a BBG, BBH, big bodied hunk. (laughs) But um, of course, yeah, not not body shaming him at all. But like when we're talking about like physical bodies, like it's important to talk about that for my next point, which is that like fat suits in general in movies make me very uncomfortable, especially when you can tell the actor is under there and the the movie is so overlit and you can see these like weird rubbery hands into frame because they decided Paul Giamatti's hands weren't fat enough. And so I had such a hard time focusing on anything Paul Giamatti was doing because he would do a Paul Giamatti hand gesture, which is like truly for most films, a joy it adds at least a star to the movie to have paul giamatti do this right yeah. paul giamatti doing this and i can watch like weird Damn. fake jelly jelly he's fat. got yeah he's got fat bastard hands they yeah gave him. <laughs> yeah it's 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 a horror show to yeah. see because it's like mm. are you making fun of him or was this the best yeah. process they, they, no, they, they are, i mean they like, are making fun they're what? definitely making, the, the first fun as a whole vince vaughn has a whole thing where he's like Making fun of them. The first like line of dialogue on screen is, oh my god, this is the fattest baby I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, like, and then they pull out an enormously cute baby. Um, yes. Who and, does and not see who's, who's, who's 15 months old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. He would have split that woman like a log. <laughs> a, a, that is not a newborn. B, that is not a fat baby. I mean, it'd be a fat newborn, but if that's a newborn... We have more problems is to a, talk about. It is a, yeah. a, a, a well-nutritioned eighteen-month-old. <laughs> yeah. That is a that 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 baby's feet was in the was in its mom's neck. <laughs> <laughs> that is a baby that like one of my favorite Arrested Development jokes is he stayed in the room womb for an extra two months. That baby stayed in the <laughs> yeah. womb for more than two months. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, but yeah, but we, the point is so, the point is that like Paul Giamatti, they they're doing all this and it's so distracting, and they give him instead of giving him rosy cheeks, they give him like stage three alcoholic cheeks, like way too rosy. I know. He looks I mean, he looks sick. sick. We talked about that with Santa with muscles too. Like I mean, and I guess later the whole thing is that he is sick. Yeah. Like he's kind of overworked himself and stressed himself out, but it is like he does give a good performance. He's unpleasant to watch, and not because of him because of what they've done to him but we need to back up like 
There's so much plot to get yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. My movie. point was that I'm on board Giamatti, but Giamatti is a microcosm of this movie. Yeah. Where you're like, you're like, oh. I don't, it's uncomfortable was, to watch. There was like a spark of something interesting there, and then you just buried it in bullshit. I, I really feel, yeah, I, I know. We're going to go around and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really do feel like he is the only person trying to overcome the script. I, I think that's right. I, I, I do think that Spacey's playing a caricature of, to Liam, to your point of, like, better versions that he's played before. He's not really committing to anything besides just, like, so he's almost doing his own Kevin Spacey impression. I do think Giamatti's committing to something, like, and, like, to have, like, a heart and, like, he's really trying to get at the core of, I think Giamatti understands that, like, Christmas movies, for the most part, only work with a, with a gooey center, mm-hmm. and he's trying to provide that gooey center in a way that like Vince Vaughn and Kevin Spacey really, really can. Even Bad Santa, which its whole which which its whole point is like this is a movie without it's a Christmas movie that's not going to be a gooey center movie. Still recognizes at the end that you have to have like some level uh, to make a successful yeah. Christmas movie of like a lack of a lack of cynicism. And I, so I think that's what Giamatti's doing. But this movie is like – so I did see this movie. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did rent it when it came out. And I was like – I was psyched for it. Like, um, you know, even though I my, – my guess is I haven't seen Wedding Crashers in a long time. My guess is it is a deeply problematic movie with some funny moments. Deeply problematic. But like – Deeply funny, um, deeply problematic. Yeah. But, I mean, I was so in the tank for Wedding Crashes in 2005, and I was thrilled that Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson were becoming megastars. And I was thrilled because I liked Owen Wilson from the, you know, the Wes Anderson movies. I loved Swingers and Maid and the Vince Vaughn stuff. And it was also at that time where, like, I had – where where studios were, like, only doing PG-13 movies. I mean, Peter and I have talked about a lot, like, post – 9-11, like, everything's PG-13, there's no edge, there's no intelligence to so many things. And so, like, Wedding Crashers felt great on every level in 2005 when I was, like, you know, 20-some years, 20, 21, 22 years old. And because it was like, we're getting R-rated comedies, these two people that I'm in the tank for are becoming huge movie stars, Will Ferrell has this great moment, another person who I was really rooting for... And like I was, I was thrilled that it was this like monster, two hundred million dollar hit. And so like this is basically the big follow up to it, right? Almost three hundred million. It made two. I had to look this up. It made two hundred eighty eight point yeah. five million dollars. How fucking yeah. nuts is that? Wait, which wedding Elf crashers? Oh, wedding, wedding crashers. crashers was huge. Yeah, wedding crashers, huge. So, yeah. so like again, I I haven't seen that movie in a long time. But I – and I remember being somewhat overlong, but I was, like, as a concept, I was so happy it was so, so big. And, like, so this was the follow-up to it, and I was happy to see Vince Vaughn. I knew that knew the director was 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 making it. Um, I was surprised that it was PG. Like, it that felt like a weird choice. Like, you have – Vince Vaughn in a PG movie seems off in general – and especially in like right after Wedding Crashers. And again, the whole reason that movie was considered so good was that, hey, we're, we're getting back to a hard R type of, of comedy. 
and the, the people are ready for it. Like as as dumb as it is, the reason that they really like cut back on R rated movies was because like the post nine eleven era was one of like overt Christian censorship, and especially in Hollywood. And so like people were like just afraid to you know say anything. The Christian right and George W. Bush was really ascendant, and so and studios kind of like went along with it. And so like two thousand five, it was finally back. And so their their follow up movie. To be this this, I remember seeing the original trailer and it said this movie was not yet rated, and I was like, hell yeah, uh, R rated, <laughs> like Giamatti, Vince Vaughn, Christmas movie. Like I loved Bad Santa. It was like this makes all the sense in the world, and I remember it like, oh PG, okay, well that's a it's a weird choice, and I I didn't go see it in theaters. I rented it when it came out. I never finished it. I got an hour and 15 minutes in and I, it was like a VOD. It was an early VOD rental. And it wasn't like necessarily that I like turned it off in disgust, but I think I got bored and fell asleep. And by the time I had a chance to watch it again, the VOD rental had expired and I was in no way interested in re-renting it. Like I was like, I do not need to see the end of it. And what was so fascinating this time, I could almost pinpoint the part where I was like, I just need this to be like where I checked out. Because it was about an hour and ten minutes in, and I'm just like, I am like, I'm done can with I, this movie. Can I guess where it is exactly? Like just after <laughs> yeah, the snowball it. fight. Yeah, that exactly that part yeah. where I'm like, somewhere they're gonna like, and and I think Kevin Spacey like, I'm shutting down the factory. Yep. I'm like, I don't care about any of this, and the fact that there's 45 minutes left. Like, it's not funny. I don't care about the characters. I actually don't want anyone to end up happy. <laughs> like, like I think there's Rachel just... to be really happy having sex with, um, who's the guy with three names? The guy, the hot, the hot. Oh guy. my God. Oh, John Michael Higgins. No, no. Oh. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan in like one scene as the hot guy getting a ticket that. Oh yeah. I, I mean. He's hot. He has his shit together. The only scene of that I mean, movie he's getting that I a ticket. actively liked, yeah, is everybody gets tickets in Chicago. Aaron, it's just part of the deal. I got like a hundred. Okay, big Chicago. I never paid him. Okay, big Chicago. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> You're talking to New York over here. <laughs> You're talking to a in New Minneapolis. York. You're talking to a New York non-driver here. <laughs> I know all about Chicago. Um, I'm interested in what scene you're going to say because I have one moment in the movie that works for me and it's the only time um, that Vince Vaughn's funny. So I'm interested in what you're going to say. So the scene that most works for me in the movie is very early on when uh, Fred is basically trying to explain his situation to Rachel Weisz. Um, saying like, I was arrested and uh, the entire thing leading up to his arrest with the Salvation Army, I, I almost want to not address that because <laughs> it maybe is one of the dumbest sequences I've ever seen in any film ever. Yeah. Um, it, it literally, I, it literally is like first draft shit where you're like, he gets into some sort of, sort, sort of business and gets arrested. His girlfriend's a cop. Like, yeah. They didn't even really make those lines connect because she doesn't even bail him out or ever find out it, that he was arrested. It makes, Sorry, isn't she a isn't she a male? She's a meter man. Maid. She's a meter, meter maid. maid. Okay, meter maid. She still works for the yeah. She's uh, she's part Chicago of CPD though. Yeah, yeah. She's still okay. CPD. Well, I don't. I I, I did not realize that um, recent British was, expats could 
that easily become I, members of the Chicago police force, but hey. That's why, <laughs> that's why, that's why I assumed she was a, a male. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to, I, I, you know, you just want her to be not full on cop. Because she's so fucking adorable in this movie. And I mean, so she's, she's, she's adorable in everything. She, I mean, she's always a cute. But, like, in this movie in, in particular, I remember being, like, in this sort of, like, I don't really give a shit. Also, I'm still using my normal British accent kind of Rachel Vice, Like, which, love that she uses her normal British accent, <laughs> makes it even crazier that Miranda Richardson is not. Miranda Richardson, two-time Oscar nominee as Mrs. Yeah. Claus. A fictional figure that theoretically could have been, like, Eastern European yeah. from 500 years ago. Legitimately. Like, whenever Mrs. Claus got added to the story. Like, it that doesn't is, matter. She could have whatever accent she wants. You know what? That is actually my favorite performance in the movie, is Miranda Richardson. Because, like, she has that one scene where she's like, mm, Fred, back in trouble again. And I'm like, yep, that's... That's that bitch. That's like the character that I'm rooting <laughs> yeah. for in this movie. Pardon my language. I love, I love all the characters in this movie. I love her and Rachel Weisz that are like, the concept of this movie is stupid, and I have like three lines of dialogue <laughs> to tell you why. And like, Rachel Weisz's character as, what if I am the brother of, or what if I am the lover of an immortal being, does not get the, the depth that it deserves. But that one sequence that she has, or that everyone has, where they're doing the intervention for Fred, hysterical because it's basically Rachel Weisz just being like, yep, this is crazy. And never really acknowledge, the movie never acknowledges that this British woman was just brought from Chicago to the North Pole in an evening. They don't even do the standard reveal of like, holy shit. Your brother Santa Claus, we're at the door. She's just... They don't even do... He walks into a room and she's just sitting there. They legitimately don't make a single joke about that. Which... No. What the fuck? (laughs) Go watch the Santa... Like, that's the... that's half of the, that's the moment every The Santa Claus movie, right? Where they're yeah. like, holy shit, that North Pole's real. The only Can scene I? that worked oh, for, okay, just on. really quickly, the only scene that worked for me in, so like, they they don't know what to do with Vince Vaughn in this movie, which no. is like, which is like, th- there's two areas that Vince Vaughn works really well. He either works really well if he's just like an irredeemable scumbag who thinks he's the coolest person in the room. Like, that's the swingers made thing that they have too, where swingers kind of thinks other people see him as the coolest person in the, in the room. And John Favreau is obviously looking up to him. And I love how they invert that in Made, where he's basically still playing the same character, but everyone looks realizes he's a huge asshole who's because over irredeem- time people like that people catch on. Yeah, so I, I love those. Like he's good at that. He is also and something that he doesn't get enough credit for. I think and they, people he doesn't get a chance to play enough is a over enthusiastic, well meaning, sweetie who talks way too much. And there's that scene where he's teaching John Michael Higgins to dance. And he's being nothing but supportive. Like, that was where he got the the production notes in this movie, which are very slim 
for a movie that cost $100 million to make. It has no production section in Wikipedia, which I don't think I've ever seen except for straight-to-video movies. Mm -hmm. I tried to find up all all the information about this because, like, there's so much off-putting CGI in this. I was like, somebody had to have spilled the beans after this, right? It's it's like there's there's no – no one cares about this movie to the point that, like, again, there's not even a Wikipedia, like, why they thought of doing this or if (laughs) – what they tried to do for a rating perspective. But the one thing I did find is that, like – they made the terrible mistake of, like, the Judd Apatel of, like, let's just let Vince Fong talk. But that part where he's, like, just teaching John Michael Higgins to dance and he's being supportive and he's, like, but, like, doing it in a way that is uncomfortable because he talks too much and he's a big idiot. Like, that is the one scene in the movie that kind of works for me. And it has the only line in the movie that made me laugh, which is where he goes, where he's teaching her how to, like, pull pull the girl in. And he goes, mm-hmm. all right, now come take, what is it? Come pull this big tugboat to shore, which is like a very <laughs> funny line. Uh, and it's contrasting the fact that he's a giant. Like, it's it's the only scene that works for me. And it's it's not based on him being terrible to everyone. It's not based on, like, they, they, they you need to commit to one. And a PG gooey at the, uh, tried to be gooey at the center, center Christmas movie, like, having him be awful and hateful. And, like, they're like, don't worry. You know how we're going to save the fact that he's awful and hateful and hates everyone in this movie? We're going to give him a kid that he's been responsible for for years so that uh, is, you know uh, he's you know he's of, not that bad of a guy. Like, uh, he's one insane. Of, uh, one of uh, Tracy Tracy Jordan's uh, kids Sons, on, yeah. on 30 Rock. Uh, and he's an adorable kid. I wish he was in the movie more. I have oh, a so, lot so of... so naturally funny. I have a lot of thoughts about that kid who was everywhere when I was a child. Yeah. Um, like, he was in multiple Disney Channel shows and Nickelodeon yeah. shows. I got sick of his face when I was <laughs> yeah. a kid. I could see that. But yeah. he is very good in this movie. He's very good. I mean, he ele- he ele- he's maybe the best actor in the movie. He elevates the material he's given, which is nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. like, it is like... The best performance, not the best actor. <laughs> it is insane that he, like, the fact that they, like, have a... a, a, a uh, uh, e-plot maybe an e-plot where Vince Vaughn has taken in a young African-American kid and been his father for the last year after like he doesn't even know his father's dead just that he ran away and he's like this is my kid now is like I mean but, I, what the fuck is happening like what? spoiler alert I guess for the very very end of the movie yeah but there's the reveal that in, like, the final sequence when it was like, let's see what happened to everyone else. And it turns out that Fred didn't adopt this kid. A different family entirely That is did. so fucking weird. So yeah. fucking weird. I was... He, they love each other. Utterly the confused. Fuck? Hey, he gives, him a, he gives him a puppy. It's so sad because, like, they actually... leaves they his actually life forever. Him. They have more chemistry No, they, than he doesn't leave his dude. life because they have the, the scene... Um, the baseball team scene at the very end yeah. where it turns oh, out yeah, that that's right where it turns they out that Fred has together. achieved his lifelong goal of becoming a uh gambling kingpin by yes. owning an OTB no. which love love that that is a major plot line in obstinately a kids movie yeah. uh, I mean he's he's also an immortal being that like has worked in repo and then gambling Aaron Oh, Aaron, I have so many thoughts about the, like, first five minutes of this movie. 
Yeah. yeah. I, honestly, okay, okay. I took all of my notes in the first five. I, I took more than half my notes in the <laughs> it's first a, five It's a, minutes. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in all once. Okay, before yeah. we get to, like, the main plot and the other okay. half of the episode, I want to really quickly just run through a few facts and figures and sort of, like, just a basic premise that I'm going to be running with the entire episode. So, before you do that, can I interrupt with um, three jokes that I've been holding on to for a second? Yeah. Sure. Okay, great. Sure. Rapid fire jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Number one. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> go, go, go. Um, first of all, uh, Paul Giamatti in Fat Suit of Santa. You could see him also this year in The Whale, starring Brendan Fraser. <laughs> it's the same costume. Two. Oh God. I've seen the movie. It'll be in theaters yeah, by the time that this comes so. out. They only um, want to show people that one picture. Liam's got whale thoughts. Come back. I'll see you in a few year. years for The Whale. Um, bring me back for Father's Stu. regular Jonah, because you're going to get up inside that whale. <laughs> bring me back for Father Stu first. Stu, 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 Stu. Tudor Christmas. <laughs> I do love that this is um, not the longest. Like, this is one of the shortest movies that David Dobkin ever made. Um, it's two hours long. I know, I know. What was shorter? Um, only like Clay Pigeon, which is his first movie, and Shanghai Nights. <laughs> Everything the fact that he made it epic in an epic in Hong in Hong Kong and the I haven't seen the movie in a long time. Epic in Hong Kong in like the eighteen hundreds with like a cowboy and like a martial artist, and it's shorter than his like movie about fucking women at weddings. <laughs> that movie is one fourteen. Crashers is one nineteen. Fred Claus is one sixteen. The changeup, okay. The changeup is one twelve. So that's also shorter. Um, changeup. I feel like I've seen that movie. Uh, I have. I have. Jason Bateman and uh, oh, Jennifer Aniston. That is no, 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 no. That's the switch where Jason Bateman uh, switches his sperm for Jennifer Aniston. That's a film about rape. Yeah. Just you know that that is one of the worst. That that literally is the the plot of true crime stories now. Like, I could point them in your direction. No, the change-up is him and uh, Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds uh, piss in a fountain. And oh, then, I have not I have not seen that. Yeah, and then the fountain's struck by lightning, so obviously they swap bodies. It's it's the, it's the it's Freaky Friday. It's Freaky Friday based For around... For two people that are generally pissing. the same. Yeah. Yeah, that you can't or, tell. Um, yeah. But uh, Eurovision, long. Maybe Dobkin's best movie. Eurovision, oh. <laughs> Definitely. Eurovision's um, good. And his longest movie, The Judge. We're not going to talk about The Judge. We're not going to talk about The Judge, we but I did see. <laughs> we, we cannot get into The Judge, but. Oh, <laughs> so can? much. So much to talk about with The Judge. Is that still the last non Marvel movie that Robert Downey Jr. is. No! No, no, he did Dr. Doolittle. There you go, buddy. Right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot. Okay. I forgot. Don't so forget look, that he. It, look, it's flop on top of flop. We're don't forget about, about right? the time like, that I he can't. Dude, the do. Oh, um, yeah. Yes, and that's. I think that was most of the stuff that I needed to like really just quickly throw in there because we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the screenwriter and his wild career. Yeah, um, in all the right directions. Yep. Um, I just. I just really. Started- I needed to get out the fact that this is a short movie by David Dobkin standards. Yeah. Um, because this is one of the longest movies I've ever watched. 
Yeah, and his movies, the genres that we just talked about, body swap comedies, uh, Christmas PG Christmas comedies, sex comedies about, you know, the, the, the like, frat pack, I don't know what you'd call the Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson kind of generation, um, the Will Ferrell old school generation, I don't know what you'd call that. It was, it was the frat pack. It, it, it that the is the pack. frat pack. The brat yeah. pack's the old one. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I, I was right, but I had a hunch there was a different frat pack. No, because um, frat pack comes from old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, the writer so, of this movie is the guy that wrote the Aaron. Indiana Jones movie? Aaron. Hold on, hold on. Aaron. Did I jump okay. ahead? Aaron. Okay, so David, David. I feel like Peter and I are on really the same quick. page where we have a lot to talk about with Dan. Yes, I want to get I want to get through just like the, the basics, and then we'll, the second half we're going to talk about the plot because it's fucking... Okay. So, okay. Okay, so I jumped ahead on Fogel Talk? The, the movie had a hundred million dollar budget, right? Yep. I saw um, it. it made ninety seven million dollars. So uh, honestly, like obviously, if you like follow box office stuff even a little bit, you understand that like with marketing budgets, that means it wasn't actually even fucking close to making its budget back. Um, but um, this is one of those examples of a movie where if they had gone the Elf route which cost $33 million and made $225 million. It actually made less money than Wedding Crashers, which is funny. Um, if you'd gone the elf route and made it like 30 to 50, <clears throat> an elf, a movie that looks great. I just watched it a couple days ago. It yeah, so it looks great. They they made very serious set, di- set design decision- decisions to cut the budget. They chose this like very adorable look for the, the North Pole. Like they, they yeah. spent their money wisely. Um, All the, if they go the, on that route, this movie would probably be a staple on, on TV because a yeah. hundred million dollars for a Christmas comedy means they made that money fast and people, and the word of mouth wasn't poison enough to kill its, to kill its run mm-hmm. uh, that quickly. If they had made a smaller budget within a specific set of parameters, actually for one specific or two specific audiences, instead of this weird, like, it's an irreverent bro comedy and it's a Christmas movie for kids. And then you watch it and you're like, it's for nobody. Um, they probably, this probably would be a Christmas staple. It maybe also would be a better movie, but that's, that's irrelevant. Um, because it would have been a movie that would have made 50 to $75 million. Right. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then, uh, David Dobkin, this is all coasting off of trying to make money off of, uh, the elf buzz. And mm. two, we already talked about it. David Dobkin made a massive hit with um, with uh, Wedding Crashers, $288.5 million and a $40 million budget. Shanghai Nights, uh, you'd think, oh, he made another big budget other movie that probably helped him. It made it made money. It was uh, it made $88 million on a $50 million budget. Also hilarious, Shanghai Nights has Jackie fucking Chan, like, action sequences where he, like, Plays with people's hats and and jumps yeah. off buildings and mm-hmm. fucking rides horses and blows up shit. Cost half of what Fred Claus cost by the same director. And Shanghai Nights probably didn't make its back its budget for the studio. Is is Fred? Well, the the money basically they had to shrink Ludacris and John Michael Higgins. <laughs> and you, you that money is on screen. I mean, you can tell that they that that's there's no special effects. They didn't use the Lord of the Rings elf trick. They, they definitely the did honey. not use the Lord of the Rings elf trick. You know what they used? No, they a they single put them in the green screen machine. in my closet. 
it's so sad. It's so hard to look at. It looks okay. very uncomfortable. While we're there, I'm going to keep coming back to this shit. Can you imagine being a little person actor and being like funny, talented, you get cast in a big movie, and then you're going to perform all these sequences and then they're just going to do a fucking face swap on your body for another actor to perform yeah. a terrible script? Like, how fucking demeaning. I, I know, like, obviously, like, stealing ro- roles from people of color, people with disabilities, um, people who uh, identify as LGBTQ. Um, like, that's a huge issue. It's been a huge issue for great reason. But, yeah. like, we kind of have to at least put an asterisk mark here for little people who basically most of their roles are elves and goblins and, and, and shit in these movies. And then you still get your roles taken by John Michael Higgins and Ludacris? It's- I think what you're, I, I, look, I think what you're forgetting is that, yes, this movie is incredibly offensive. Yes, the CGI looks terrible. Yes, it takes away from any potential comedy part. But they're f- like, the, their influence is, you know, some of the great comedies of our time. Like Little Big Man, the Way- Damon Wayans That's movie. That's just Little Man. It's just little, little man. man. Just little oh. man. Is little big man, little man the little Dustin big Hoffman? Man. Yeah, there. that yeah, um, that is exactly yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's little man. It's, they look. They look to the sky. They look to the comedy of the gods, little man, and they fell short of it. Like you can't get that high, but obviously, that's that's a that's a it's a star to shoot for. You know you you. What's what's the saying? You shoot for the moon and you'll land in the stars. Yeah, yeah. You shoot for the stars. Uh, shoot for the moon, even if you miss, the, you land among the stars. Stars. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what happened here. Yeah. All right. So two things about that. One, Why did they do it to Elizabeth Banks? Hold on. Does anyone know? Like, was she just like, no, no? I like had inceptioned myself. I, I like had Berenstain bared myself <laughs> into thinking there was a joke about her having a birth defect. That caused okay. her to be human sized. You you tried to fix the movie in your head for yourself. Legitimately. You're like there's gotta be a reason. In my You're brain. In my yeah. brain, I'm like, isn't there going to be a joke about her being ugly or different because she's Elizabeth Banks height? <laughs> yeah. But they do nothing with it. Nothing. But nothing. no, I I love I'm just like look. We need we need people to want to fuck people. Yeah. They're not gonna they're not gonna fuck the CGI version of her on a no. on a elf. So okay, here's this here's this movie. The movie Here is like is. oh the, look at all that great low hanging fruit. I'm actually I don't even feel like grabbing the low hanging fruit. I'm gonna grab the rotten fucking apple sitting in the grass. <laughs> like they yeah. can't even just grab onto like a quick. You know, maybe maybe you laugh about it and feel bad about it, kind of dirty humor. Like, they, yeah. don't, they can't even grab onto that. Because no. fundamentally, the thing I'm going to keep coming back to the whole episode is that this is a movie for nobody. Um, yeah. But yeah, Liam, we want to talk about the writer a little bit, because the writer... Hold on, guys. If Before you do, I figured out why the budget was so much. Uh, to license the Junkie XL remix of uh, Rubbernecking was $80 million. Oh, oh that'll <laughs> do it. Gotcha. Yeah. Is that literally junky? Is that actually Junky XL? I don't know. I actually don't know if it's Junky XL. Um, it's got the, the vibe. Uh, they, uh, well, so ju- they those are from the Elvis One collections that came out, oh. and uh, the f- 
The first one had a remix of by Junkie XL of a little less conversation, and then that was such a popular I, one. I, so- I know that song. Okay. So someone did Rubbernecked. I don't know if Junkie XL also did the Rubbernecked. Um, really, I I did pull up before the soundtrack, and it's such a implausible mix of Christmas music, covers of Christmas standards, and dad rock. <laughs> um, Paul Paul Oakenfold did the. But it is just such a weird mix, and then you also have like. The dogs barking jingle bells in one part. Like, you literally have, you have, this is the one that really. Liam really, hates Christmas. This is the one that really baked my noodle, to quote the Matrix. <laughs> Why the fuck does the movie end on the Hawaiian guy's version of Wonderful World? It is, uh, is. Wait, I, wait is I'm, it over, does it do Wonderful World or is it over the rainbow? It's a combination oh. of both of them. Oh, okay. Okay. That is a song that I, I think everyone knows from 85 different things. It is not a Christmas song by any stretch of the imagination. And it shows up in that movie. And I was like, this feels like they don't know what they're doing. But yes. Yeah. I think it was like, they were like, <clears throat> this is a, maybe, <laughs> were they still able to sell soundtracks? When this movie came out, like as two thousand seven, yes, yes I'm sure absolutely. It feels a little. It feels a little on the edge. Where like you know, um, that was, but like people are still doing like uh, buying the soundtrack on iTunes and shit, right? Yeah, but uh, but like also, and, and that's fair. But it's not like that song alone was selling soundtracks when you could buy it on seven other soundtracks that came out in two thousand seven. <laughs> that, is, that is that is absolutely two thousand six. Uh, that is absolutely true. Um. The yeah the the, the 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 soundtrack to the movie is generally pretty bland sort of um the sort of shit that like it doesn't even have the charm of like the early Santa Claus movies where you're like there's ZZ Top on here like that's funny like you can like you can at least kind of like laugh about that like it's like kind of funny to listen yeah. to this like butt rock boomer shit like it's it's fun or like um, Elf has a great soundtrack. Like Elf has a great soundtrack. Elf, and it's a mix of newer stuff and older stuff. Elf has right. kind of like made songs into Christmas songs. Like yeah, I hear from like heaven. whoop. There it is. I yes, <laughs> but no, like for real, pennies for heaven. I hear on Christmas like that version. Oh yeah, no yeah, stations. yeah, and hundred percent. That's not a. I mean, it's kind of like Sound of Music where. Um, favorite things. A few of my favorite things is not a song about Christmas at all, but it it is in the holiday season. Can I can I talk about the the wild world of Dan Fogelman for a second? Please, yeah, go ahead. Please. Okay. Dan Fogelman has had one of the strangest careers in Hollywood history, yeah. and I I I think we got to talk about it. Dan Fogelman is maybe my least favorite person to have made a couple billion dollars in Hollywood. Um. This is a guy... He's, 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 hold on, so Kevin Spacey too? Yeah, uh, no, so Kevin Spacey has done criminal things. This guy I want to sue in, like, a civil court for damages to my spirit. How do you feel about Dan Fogelberg? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, he's fine. 70 singer song, okay, just checking. Oh, wait, no, I'm Go not ahead. thinking of him. I'll stop. I'm thinking of a different Fogelman or Fogelberg, who's the guy that's in, ironically, taking Woodstock. Dan Fogler? Yes. <laughs> oh, can I tell a a, a micro story? Please, please. My niece about Dan my niece, Fogarty. My, my, my niece and I were watching some movie, 
And there was like a a sort of, you know, a Dan Fogler type in the movie. And she turns to me. She's like 12. She turns to me and she goes, is that Dan Fogler? And I've never <laughs> laughed harder in my entire life. And I was like, how do you know who Dan Fogler is? Kids are Fogelheads. And it's because he's in fucking um, Fantastic Beasts and, and where to oh, where to find them. Yep. And, for, and she's so obsessed with these fucking Harry Potter movies that she's like... That, like, she not only knows all of this shit, but she's like, I've done some research on the cast. I found out a little bit about them. Apparently Johnny Depp has been up to no good. <laughs> did she actually say Sorry, some mini story? Did she actually she did say, she, she did say, like, Johnny Depp, I saw him in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. It was really good, but apparently he's not a good guy. So I don't know if I should watch that movie anymore. I was like, honey, thank love you. her, love her. Her first, her first cancellation. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, Dan Fogelman, a man that I grew up with hating. Because he made, over the course of my childhood, a bunch of movies that I truly dislike. Cars, Fred Claus, Bolt, Tangled, which is good. Tangled's good. And Cars 2. He wrote all of those movies. And then, the same year as Cars 2, he writes a movie that I thought was good in 2011. And I've watched in the last five years and i'm like oh no this movie's hell which is called crazy stupid love yeah crazy crazy stupid love is a movie that the concept of makes so much sense to me and i had mentioned a movie I, i told you that this movie was going to come up in our conversation today and here it is crazy stupid love is a movie that basically is prevent presenting a twist ending and like puzzle backstory in a romantic drama the way that one movie has ever succeeded at and that movie is called definitely maybe ironically Ah. ironically starring two of the cast members of fred claus (laughs) so definitely definitely maybe is a movie with ryan reynolds who uh uh, david dobkin uh, david dobkin pal um where he is telling his daughter part of his dobkin Yes. He's telling, uh, Reynolds is telling his character's daughter, played by Abigail Breslin, about the history of their fam, of, like, his love life, and the kid's mother, and the kid's current stepmother, and the one that got away. And it's either one, and she's, she has to guess which one is Elizabeth Banks, which one is Rachel Weisz, and which one is Isla Fisher. It's a very weird movie. I think it's pretty charming. I watched it on HBO back in 2008, and I'm like, this is a very weird movie. A major plot contrivance hangs around Bill Clinton's multiple elections. It's a movie that instantly dated itself the second it came out in 2008, because it's the year after Fred Claus. Mm -hmm. Three years after that, we get Crazy Stupid Love and the start of the Fogelman-type story, where he will take a simple plot and make it the most contrived bullshit possible. (laughs) <laughs> crazy stupid love involves a plot twist where you thought that you that that is a movie that like spoiler for a 11 year old romantic comedy um ryan gosling has been sleeping with has been coaching steve carell on how to be a man while sleeping with steve carell's daughter the entire time played by emma stone mm-hmm. it is a deeply uncomfortable movie that when <laughs> i revisited it i'm like this this feels terrible um and that's where i dug deeper into this crazy filmmaker who also made um the tv show this is us which is a 
television show length version of what if we tell a crazy story across multiple timelines and it's just designed to make you cry and say, what a twist. Um, He also made the film Danny Collins, which if you've never seen is a um, film with Bobby Cannavale and Al Pacino. Al Pacino is Danny Collins. I'm not sure why I said Bobby Cannavale first. I just remember him in it. (laughs) Um, Good actor, Bobby. But, sequel to Michael Collins? Uh, yes, this is actually about Michael's brother Danny. But it's like about <laughs> he loves brothers. He loves brothers of famous people. It's about like some washed up folk singer type thing. It's very weird. And then in 2018, he makes a movie that I'm not sure if you ever thought about covering or have covered. But it is we love to watch terrible movie caliber life itself. Life Itself is a film starring Oscar Isaac, Olivia Wilde, Annette Bening, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Olivia Cook, who recently has been in the Game of Thrones sequel mm-hmm. show, or spin-off yeah. show, um, Antonio Banderas. Either way, it's an incredible cast, and it is basically manipulative garbage from start to finish. <laughs> um, and his next movie, according to... Wikipedia and IMDb. <sighs> he has a screenwriting credit on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Which it kind of bum- it bums me like... out because I I was not interested in the new Indiana Jones movie at all. And I saw the trailer recently. I'm like, oh, wait, am I interested in the new Indiana Jones movie? This looks okay. The, yeah. Realizing that that is Dan Fogelman recently single-handedly lowered all of my hopes and dreams for this film. So that's the kind of guy that Fogelman is in my brain, where it's like, oh, no. Yes, all of that, where I'm like, on paper, that sounds kind of fun. And then um, in Fred Claus, you get to actually see this sort of like half ideas forced into reality way too soon. Um, Really makes a lot of fucking sense. So do you guys want to talk about Fred, 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 Fred Claus? Unfortunately, no. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Before we before we go to the bathroom break, you guys did listen to Luda Christmas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I told you. I fast forward through the credits so I can listen to it. I left it on, and I was in such a daze that I was just kind of staring at my computer screen, saying, "Am I having a stroke?" <laughs> it's one of those things where I was at, when Luda Christmas came on. Sorry. We'll, we'll we'll talk in the other half. Let's let's leave. Let's no 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 no. Luda Christmas is a great place to leave off. Which yeah. hopefully Peter <laughs> That's Aaron, the music. Peter Aaron, whoever is editing this episode, I music think you break. Cue that up right yeah. about no. now. I want for 
Christmas is two gold front teeth and ten carat diamonds on a fat gold wreath that I can wear around my neck. Get money and respect. Tell Santa Claus to bring a ten million dollar check so I can spread a little cheer. Fly a couple lives, eat a little chicken, drink a couple beers, kick back and just chill like a player would do. Remix all the Christmas carols, then I'll play them for you. Luda, turn it up until I wake up all the neighbors. They say that I'm a nuisance, but I say they all some haters. Just because I'm poor, they always calling me a faker. And cause my Christmas tree's decorated in toilet paper. But little do they know, they about to see a show. Cause when they come up out the house, I'm gonna blast them with some snow. Frosty's never seen nothing quite like this. And St. Nick's never seen nothing quite like Chris. So, um. Uh, Alright, Peter, do you want to take us through the plot? There's a yeah. lot to cover. There's so much to go through. Yeah, but I'll keep it broad stroke. So, um, we're. I mean, the, we're, the prologue is like we could probably spend three times. hours talking about. Yeah, the, we're in the olden times. And a baby is being born in a sort of like idyllic cabin out in the woods. Um, and there's a little boy watching up on the banister, watching his little brother be born. Uh, and the narrator explains that the little boy being born is Santa Claus. And the uh, boy in the banister watching his little brother be born is Fred Claus. And the idea Frederick setting up in the prologue Class it up. is that um, it's sort of an origin story for the fact that they have a dysfunctional uh, sibling relationship. Yeah. Fred is, is, is more um, of a standard child. <laughs> um, he doesn't have the... We it, don't say normal, even in the Santa Claus household. <laughs> no, no, no. In the, in the Claus household, if you're Kathy Bates, you say exclusively disappointing. Yeah, he has to compare to a literal saint. Yeah. Um, and when he, uh, Santa Claus comes out, when Saint Nick comes out of uh, Kathy Bates, um, a largest child on record. Yeah. Um, five, five-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's basically the end of men again. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he is, is, It's uh, Rory Calhoun. <laughs> it's <out>. Rory Calhoun. <laughs> On Father Christmas. <laughs> and then a Rory Calhoun. I don't want to spoil men. Anyways, yeah. so Santa Claus is very Santa Clausy. Um, he's a saint. He gives away all of his presents on his birthday. He's very giving of himself. He's constantly trying to be as of service, a jolly, jolly, and and be of as of service as he can be. Um, which is um very difficult for his brother. Um who sees that like they're kind of in like a sustenance lifestyle and uh he's like why are you giving all this shit away like we we kind of need to like be alive here uh, and he becomes grows resentful not so much because of his little brother being so nice but because his parents do kind of highlight the fact that one of their sons is a disappointment and um sort of a standard your average relatable son and one of them is 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 uh yeah santa claus Sorry, young Nicholas Claus is a dick of a child. Like, six-year-old Nick Claus gets a handmade gift and says, I don't need this. Let's give it to the poor kid without even, like, looking at it. Yeah, Nick Claus is like the kid in school who's like, I think we should do cursive because it'd be fancier. Yeah, (laughs) Nick Claus is the kid kid that says, I thought we had a test today. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you say it? It's good to learn. That's Nick, what we're here Nick for. Nick Claus is the one that says, teacher, you didn't collect the homework. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nick Claus is like, there was definitely a second shooter <laughs> on this grassy knoll. Um, and then he no. cuts down a tree and forces Fred's best friend to flee. Which, Who is a bird? A bluebird. Yes. Well, now, so hey, hold no, on. No, no, so no, they, no, no. That is not a bluebird. That is a monstrosity created by a computer in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> look, it is David a, Dobkin's look, not going to get out of bed unless bird. the bird costs at least $20,000. The budget of this movie was so high, but the bird budget was so low. <laughs> so low. Yeah, you can't get a good bird on a $100 million. <laughs> um, the, so here's, so they, then they, the narrator's like, Nick became a saint, and there's a loophole in sanctum that means your entire family is also immortal. You're immortal, which, like, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put sweaty, on my dude. like it's sweatier what? than Paul Giamatti in the it, fat suit. It's so well. Here's the thing, like, I, as a, as someone who was raised Catholic, like, there's so many things that are frustrating about like and I like it's all bullshit anyways. But a the idea that part of being sainthood it's is all bullshit. Eternal. Get the lore right. <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, they're not getting the lore right. They're not because. Like the idea that it, as a saint, the whole thing, the great thing about becoming a saint is you just live forever on earth. Like half of the people got their sainthood from martyrdom. So yep, they really yeah. missed out on that one. Taking and then their, getting their eyes taken out, being crucified yeah. upside down, being, uh, having their head chopped off and served uh-huh. to other people to show that they finally killed a Christian martyr. Here you go. Hold it up by the hair. Yeah, but, sainthood is actually but, but very closely aligned with martyrhood. All of yeah. deserves that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. I mean, oh yeah, but but it's the other thing that's very perplexing is that so like you get this the the whole point of this is like Santa was just made for this line of work, i.e., being a Santa Claus type figure, and he essentially went on to invent Christmas and become Santa Claus, but he was named a what I assume is a Catholic saint. So that means that somehow the concept of Christianity and sainthood existed, but not the concept of Christmas of which Saint Nick invented. I think and there's they never mention like I don't think there's a Jesus in this universe. I think there is a Christian church church and Nicholas Claus invents Christmas. Do you mind as a if, non-religious holiday? Do you mind if I, I read the actual line? Yeah, read the line. Uh all right. Now, a little-known fact of sainthood is that when you become a saint, you become eternally ageless. The rule applies to the family of the saints and spouses as well. Yeah, I know. A just explains a lot. a lot of confusion right there. But my favorite, even more dumbfounding part of this, later in the movie, this movie clearly acknowledges that the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy exist. Also real. Do you, you think it's a saint in this world? I have no idea. Well, then the thing is like, so as a saint, you are granted magic powers. And somehow Santa in building the, in fa- pursuing his natural talents to give away gifts and becoming a magic Santa Claus man. Like the Marvel. Also hired a board of directors to supervise <laughs> him. Like why, why did he do that? For him? The martyr Joan of Arc. Probably is on the board of directors where it's like, oh, I'm a child eternally. 
internally. Let me. Yeah, she's she's like Kristen Stewart in interview or Kristen Dunst in Kristen interview Dunst in interview with the like, man. What are they? Are they holding back budget for like the apocalypse? Why like, is there a budget? They, why is there a budget? Like, Who are they what, paying? What are they holding out of this magic money for? Like, what is going on? Here's my thing. I mean, the, the universe. The thing about like Elf in some of these movies, even even the Santa Claus, the titular Santa Claus. It's a stupid, goofy thing that is very funny, but, like, its internal logic for how they've decided to say Santa Claus is real makes a sense within the universe, right? Like, Santa Claus is eternal. It's outside of, like, in the Santa Claus, a Christian thing. How is he eternal? Well, the people don't live forever, but the suit continues to get passed on, and you get the magic of the Santa Claus for as long. For it for as long as you have it, Elf is like, hey, yep, it's basically the uh, Rankin and Bass movies up in the North Pole. Christmas magic powers the sled. People are too cynical in the in the two thousands. There's 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 less magic. This is like he's a saint who decides to become a Santa. Then his wife and his brother and his family live forever. There's a board of directors who's also overseeing all these other mythical like. There is no, even in, like, the realm of this stupid fantasy thing, like, they don't even get point A to point B to point C in a way that makes any goddamn sense. It makes no sense. Um, Not to get, like, wild and political on this fun movie podcast, but to me, the North Pole has always kind of been, like, a socialist or communist state. Um, There is someone in charge, but also... Everyone is contributing and everyone is benefiting from it. Um, yeah. And even in even in the Santa Claus movies, it's sort of an operation that Santa is a cog in the wheel. He's a big cog. Yeah. He's an important cog, but he's a cog in the wheel. This operation is going to keep fucking running. Oh, the old one died? Fucking put the suit on. Yeah, but why in Fred Claus is this socialist state where it seems like the elves want for nothing? Mm-hmm beholden to a capitalist bureaucracy. Anyway, this is a fun movie. Uh, no, this is... I was Why did he install <laughs> it? Because Santa came up with it. Like, did he ask some sort of magic investors? Well, to... did he come up with it? Because apparently the Tooth Fairy exists, and if kids were losing teeth before Jesus existed, like... They weren't. Yeah. <laughs> that was so, the part of original sin. Yeah, <laughs> Go to exactly. hell if you don't get baptized, you lose your teeth. No. <laughs> but this is all... But this is all actually, like... Uh, the half-formed ideas uh, that, like, really make me annoyed is because this movie is essentially for no one. I wanted to kind of say this for the end, but I guess I'll just talk about it now. But, like, this is a movie that's Can this be for the children end? that... Uh, this, sure. I have done um, my best on every episode with you two to derail the conversation so quickly. Great. great. I, uh, oh. I do it on accident, so I appreciate someone coming in and doing no, it. No, 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 no. I, I do it on purpose with no apologies. I almost always yeah. come in and I'm like, but let's talk about the minutia of this one scene <laughs> for the next 40. When I was on, yeah. this is, so I'm I'm interrupting and I don't care because yeah, that's right. fun. <laughs> this is my fourth episode of this show and I'm always yeah. happy to be on it. I listen yeah. to. Oh, we love having you here. I listen yeah. to it pretty much every week that you describe, uh, to discuss a movie that I like. Or even don't like to something I've seen. Um, and so rarely. No, no. I mean, <laughs> you're currently have been doing the Planet of the Apes sequels. Yeah. I loved that. Um, I might listen to some of the other Cursed Christmas, especially the movies I'll never watch. Because that's always a different <laughs> type of fun. It's but a, it's, it, it's a as service. The movies that I'll... Service to the community. The movies I never will watch are a different fun. 
than the movies that I might someday I be haven't like, watched. Yeah. Um, but every other movie that I've covered with you two is a movie that I personally adore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been here for... My first movie was a personal pick of Closet Monster, yeah. which is a film that means a lot to me personally. After that, I don't remember the exact order, but we did Best in Show and we did 10 yep. Things I Hate About You. Yes. yes. Both of which are among my favorite comedies of all mm-hmm. time. And I was so happy to be invited today to be on a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing that's... You really fixate. Yeah. One thing that's really key is in each of those, I almost always have been like, but let's talk about this one specific factor, whether it's um, gerbil, talking gerbil voiced by Isabella Ros- talking gender queer gerbil voiced by Isabella Rossellini, or Busy Bee, or uh, the career of Larry Miller. Um, I, I usually find something, I'm like, this is it. This is it for me right now. And in Fred Claus, I really do think it's the, it's the rules of sainthood. In whatever, like the rules of sainthood and bureaucracy in whatever screwed up world this is. Mm -hmm. If Rachel Weisz marries Vince Vaughn, does she live forever? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Does she? she I think so, yeah. Well, it's siblings and spouses. But does that mean the saint's spouse? Or does that mean the spouses of the saint's siblings? That's like an in-law of the spouse. Are you insinuating that at some point... So assuming, like, they say they're family, which assuming would mean kids, right? So they have kids. If Mrs. Kids... Claus and Santa have a kid, is it a Kirsten Dunst situation? Do they live forever? I, I, I think what you're proposing is that, like, eventually, if all of their kids and then their, their kids' spouses also live forever, then eventually you have a race of immortal saints who never die. That's the And they eventually... Thing. Like, take over the whole world, right? Like, at some point, everyone's immortal, and then it's a really, it's about overpopulation. I feel like you could do a pretty good, like, you know, there's a lot of very sad vampire movies. Like, Mm -hmm. what if there was a vampire movie where, like, you being divorced from the royal vampire bloodline meant that, like, oh, you're just mortal again. Like, what if Rachel Weisz and, and Vince Vaughn, who will inevitably get divorced, yeah, break up? Does she lose that power? Who knows? But I just that feels look- like that feels like an element of like. Here's my thing. I just looked up abuse. I just looked up the. Saint- if you leave me, you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> I just passively, look- passively. <laughs> I just looked up the saint of burning crops. There is a saint yeah. of burning crops. Well, yeah, you gotta it you gotta so afraid to burn your crops. Um, he's also the saint of fireworks and yeah. bonfires. And there's he- a saint of like losing your keys. But more importantly, he was burned alive. <laughs> Is this saint alive right now? Yeah. Just a chronically in pain, burned alive person that, like, can't do anything except for, like, worship fireworks? It's it's the Hellraiser gif. Only it says, I am in heaven. (laughs) Kill me. (laughs) Help me. Legitimately. This (laughs) this, This is great. This is Hellraiser rules. (laughs) Yeah. All of these saints become immortal demons. Yeah. Most of them, it's interesting because, like, Part of the, the the usual requirements of sainthood is that you're dead. Yeah, yeah like it's true. Like you have to you have to do miracles after you die. So I think you can make the case that even Santa Claus in this movie, assuming that's following the rules of sainthood, has died. And then when he was named a saint, 
there's some graveyard somewhere where like a fucking hand rips out of the ground and like you he comes out he's like i, I must have been made a saint back to pursuing my life's works Pope life John work Paul. of getting shady investors to to, <laughs> to prop up my toy my magic toy business pope john paul ii was canonized as a saint a decade after he died yeah did he like crawl out and just be like oh, oh yeah that's why the the Pope Benedict saw it and is like, I quit. <laughs> if I get named a saint, that seems like a hellish existence. They're keeping him somewhere in like the the papal vaults, and he's just like brain. But like, this actually gets, no, to, this no. gets to something that I really want to talk about with the movie, which is that like the movie is for nobody fundamentally because there's so many little elements. It's not for Catholics. Are, are, are indicating at least in two directions, right? This is stuff that only, like, a little kid would enjoy, and this is stuff that only an adult would even be able to understand, like, the idea that, like, Christmas's budgets are being cut, but it half commits to these ideas. So, like, the thing you were just talking about that, like, genuinely, like, took me for a loop, just like it did with you, Liam. The hand wave away, just like, oh, yeah, and everybody that's a saint and all their family, they become immortal forever, like... And then the movie doesn't even make a joke about the fact that it hand-waved it away, even though this no. is a comedy written by a comedy writer with a comedy director. Like, written, no, no, no. We're not calling Dan Fogelman a comedy writer. We're calling him... I'm not saying it's funny. I'm saying it's the genre he works in. No, it isn't. He works in <laughs> crap. <laughs> he is a John Waters shit peddler without John Waters' charm. Yeah. Anyway, yes, can tar- carry on, carry but, on. But my, my point is this. The movie, if the movie were a 30 to $45 million, much lower budget movie about the um, pissed off older brother, the underappreciated older brother of uh, St. Nick, who in this movie, like even some of the setup stuff is like an idea. It's half an idea. Like he's a like the, like the fact that he's a Santa so- Claus. The fact, yeah, the fact that he is, so to skip ahead in the plot, you find it, then you can flash forward, Vince Vaughn is a repo man taking people's stuff. Oh, he's an inverse of Santa Claus. Yeah. He's built his he, life yeah. to take presents. But, like, he also is living life. He's lived theoretically six, seven hundred years at this point, and he's acting like just a guy. Yeah, he's a, lived- he's a gambler. <laughs> he He's a gambler who's always in debt, but he's also, like, doing... He, he's always, like, a hustler. Like, he's a con No one in his has life post- has seemed to notice that he's never aged. <laughs> yeah, that's also that's also part of the math. Um, no no like, one... Okay. It seems like he has no one in his life because he no. hates his family. Understandably, yeah. his family is yeah. terrible to him. Terrible, terrible. But you yeah. can make... I think you can make a bad Santa on... Yeah, double budget, let's say, like, I don't know, 35. Oh, yeah. 30, I mean, I think I think in most cases when you have a bad movie, if you had talented people that made it, you could make a better movie. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> saying $35, $40 million, you take this concept, you take Vince Vaughn, no changes, you make it a movie in Paul Giamatti, and you make it about, like, a underappreciated uh, sibling to a famous figure. They have to spend Christmas together. There's no saving Christmas plot. It's just mostly about, like, family drama in this sort yeah. of, like, goofy, making an extended SNL skit for 95 to 100 yeah. minutes max. There's a good movie there, I think. I think. So Is Ludacris still in it? Yes. Absolutely. Sorry, um, only but- as a fully... He's even person, small, not a, not a little the, person. He's like a Stuart Little-sized person, I think. <laughs> okay. Actually, it'd be better if he was if they shrunk actually shrunk <laughs> him down yes. instead of like, casting uh, someone. If, if then... he died by someone stepping oh, on him at some point, I that think. is like, even so more funny. But also, I will yeah. say, 
a movie that I, a series that I kind of think is ridiculous but fun, the Santa Claus series with Tim Allen. Yeah, we, we love, I mean, we love that yeah. series. The idea of casting children as elves that are like hundreds yeah. of years old is brilliant. Yeah. It's Except funny. for the one part where they hit on Tim Allen in the first movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, Peter, you did mention, wouldn't it be great if this is a movie about someone standing in the shadow of his famous older, uh, his famous brother? Um, which I, I realize we're jumping yeah. an jump. hour and 45 minutes ahead of this movie. Yeah, but the, the screenwriter just wrote a bunch um, of shit and then made yeah. probably we, tens of millions of dollars. Is it time? You got a kid? Is it, is it time to talk about Frank, Roger, and Steven? Oh yeah, let's, we let's yeah, that, because that is that is yeah. also a thing that like could be funny. I said this sounds fucking hilarious, and yeah. then when you're in the room, plus I mean there is no one more relevant to in a PG kids movies than Roger Clinton. Kids <laughs> on site are like that is Roger Clinton, brother of President Bill Clinton. in two thousand and seven. I can prove this is funny because in Wreck-It Ralph, they did an entire, like, self-help group for, like, villains or whatever. And there's yeah. like, Zhang Zif and shit. Yeah. Wreck-It Ralph literally, like, took this joke of being, like, villains anonymous or, like, underappreciated people anonymous. And the idea is you're flipping someone's persona on its head. Yeah. A little kid. I don't know who Roger Clinton is. I didn't know <laughs> I mean, this movie. I mean, uh, I... I'm aware of him in that. No offense, buddy. That sounds like it might be a bit of a failing on your part. (laughs) You know who Roger Clinton is? The second most famous Clinton? He's he's or wait, hold on, third, fifth, third, fourth. (laughs) He's the second most famous sibling of a president of the post Cold War era. After he's he's not even like I wasn't even alive for. Oh, I forgot. Third, because I was going to say um, uh, the the. Billy Carter. Who uh, I know ex- that. I mean, yeah, I wasn't even alive for that. But didn't Billy Carter have his own beer? Billy beer it was embarrassing. Which Billy beer. is yeah. a Simpsons joke, and it's the only reason I know about it. I think I might know it from like a I love the seventies VH1 yep. type thing. That may be where I know Roger Clinton from. From that matter, same idea as well. I do think I think this movie is ten times funnier. You leave Stephen Baldwin, um, and then you take him out and shoot him afterwards. Um, Oh oh my god This is a reunion of the usual suspects Yeah it is a little bit Oh wow This has has two usual suspects in it Gabriel Byrne played uh, Roger Clinton (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But instead of of Roger Clinton You get Jeb Bush I think it's the best movie of all time Uh, Chaz Palminteri was the body double For um, Elizabeth Becks In just one scene (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they wanted to John Michael Higgins taller. from the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if anyone can yeah, remember yeah, the so fifth <laughs> suspect, we got, another, we got another joke. So there's a I'm sequence. Out. Who's the fifth suspect? There was five of them. Do we name them all? Uh, well, commentary is not Baldwin. what it's. It's Gabriel Byrne. Byrne uh, Baldwin. Who's the podcaster now? Del, Kevin, uh, Del Toro, Pollock, and Spacey. Del Toro's who Kevin we Pollock. forgot. Yeah. And Pollock, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Palminteri is the detective that drops the mug. Got it. I think Del Toro is the easiest one to forget because he's in he's very little of the movie. Baby in that movie. He's, he's a so baby. little. He, he barely talks to. He's yeah. good in it, but he's a baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my point was there's there's like there is a adult comedy nestled into this fucking clusterfuck. 
that could be funny. You do Stephen Baldwin and then you come up with other ideas. It's not my fucking job to come up with them. Um, to make this concept funny because it's their joke and it's their job to do it and they get paid big bucks to do it. Um, and to secure the, the stuff. Um, the Roger Clinton thing could theoretically be funny, but it's it's ultimately like... Again, a, in an thing. adult movie. like In an adult movie that's $35-$40 million, it's rated R, like... Vince Vaughn is actually a scumbag instead of this thing that they do in PG movies where they're like, he's got he's got this kid that he found. Which, by the way, is dirty. again, not a sweet <laughs> not a sweet thing to do if you just have a kid that's not yours that you've not gone through proper channels for. Like just yeah. like go through the proper channels if you're just gonna have a kid. Yeah. That said, like they're really amping up the scumbag shit in this movie for him. They are. I mean, I I that's why I tried so hard. Like, on paper, you look at this and you go, oh, this must have started as an R-rated movie, and then the budget got too big, or the fact that it was a Christmas movie got too prevalent, and they're like, we we need to make it a PG, not even a PG-13, we need to make this PG movie. I couldn't find, since there's no information about this movie seemingly on the internet, I think you could make a case that this started as a PG family movie. Like, I don't know for sure that it started as an R-rated movie. I think I'm inferring that because of Vince Vaughn and because it's the follow-up to Wedding Crashers by the same director. But maybe this isn't. Maybe this always was a... You could tell if it was a $30 million movie and there was a bunch of ADR. But for $100 million, they probably did reshoots and whatever. I don't think you can really tell, like, you know, if it, if it was that... I think it was intended from the beginning to be a PG, maybe PG-13. If I, I think so, too. Well. Yeah, I think so, too. I would also put, like, at least a dollar down that Ludacris was not in the original movie. Probably not. He feels like reshoot material. Not only is he reshoot material, he disappears from the movie fully. Yeah. He's only in the DJ booth. He's only in shots by himself. <laughs> yeah, and he true. never plays Ludacrismas. No. I truly, truly, truly think that they were like, oh, he wrote this song? Let's just throw him in. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So Vin, the, Vin, Vin, Vince Vaughn is a fuck up. Uh, fuck up. Vaughn, while we're here, though, really quickly, Vince Vaughn is miscast for a PG movie. Yeah. Because I can, um, cannot fucking imagine a child thinking he was funny. I didn't think no. he was funny as a child. Like. The fast talking, making references to shit that no child would understand. Cynical. Yeah, and just kind of like giving, giving like the kid at the beginning that he takes the TV from. Like he's just giving him shit. Like a kid would not find them funny. And I know because, you know, at some point, because I rarely movies that I watch for We Love to Watch are like usually things I can watch around or my kid. So it ends up like taking up a night of, of free time. And this, I was like, oh. I could watch this. We're already watching Christmas movies this weekend. I already had to sit through the Grinch. Like we could watch this. And I was just up really early with my eight month old. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to put it on. And I was so glad I did because I'm like, oh, they would hate this. Why would I show this to my children? Like there's nothing in this that they would gravitate towards. And we, even when they woke up an hour later and ended up, you know, eating breakfast and then playing a little bit together and they would like, tune in for like five seconds to this movie there was like there were there was no there was nothing even in the scenes of elves dancing or santa claus that made them mildly interested in it like they just rejected it on every level of like 
hey, what? Not even what are you watching in any capacity? Are, like, are your kids not fans of remixes of Elvis songs in two thousand and seven movies? No, they're 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 they only like the the Baz Luhrmann version. Got it. No, I, I don't know that. I don't think they. I mean, good movie. Actually, you know, you know what right? their favorite. You know what their favorite Elvis song is. This is hundred percent true. It's the Winona Judd cover of uh, from the end of Lilo and Stitch. I was just oh. gonna say it had yeah. to be a Lilo and Stitch song. I was going to guess my favorite from that, which is the cover of "Can't Help Falling in Love" by Teen Pop Sensations 18s, which was a Swedish group. Oh, I I, I remember I that. Remember no, that. it was uh, we, it was we, uh, we do uh, burning love. The 18s. Okay, I'm not gonna oh, get yeah. into oh, that. We remember. But. They have the the star. Yeah, they are they are uh, teenage ABBA cover artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. What a, what a space to be in. Yeah. Um, what a bar to set for you. Again, nine eleven was a <laughs> crazy time in our culture. Um, and that like, was culture when I was a child. <laughs> yeah. But like, what a fundamental misunderstanding of what children want. Then, like, hey, do you want a Santa who talks really fast at you and throws a bunch of references you don't understand? And then at the end of the movie, instead of Santa, you get a pissed off frat bro doing Christmas that sometimes he falls off the roof. Like, there's, there's, it's just a fun, oh yeah, fundamental I, mean, I, misunderstanding I, 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 of- I basically forgot that. Like, so the end of this is that like. Paul Giamatti has been. We kind of talked about the therapy, and they bring his girlfriend there, and he's he's at the North Pole. And he just wants money for a shop, and he's like, "I'm gonna work for my money, and then I'm never gonna see any of you guys again." And then because Kevin Spacey's there, because kids love a good corporate villain, and not one that's even mustache twirling, but literally just like, "I have a notepad, and I'm gonna write you down for OSHA violations." Basically, like kids love it. Kids love. Technical violations, they connect to it, they understand what it means, and they love when Santa goes into a deep, dark depression and, like, is too sad to work, basically. Yeah. Um, And then... Is he too sad, or... I truly couldn't tell if he threw his back out and was leaving. But he's, like, unconscious in the scenes. It was weird. Like, now, admittedly, I was fighting like hell to pay attention. Say again? Aaron, he has gout, right? I can't tell someone with gout just by looking at him. That's not a magic power gout beep. I thought you had gout gar. <laughs> no, you, if I see a to- like you, I eye contact can't you can't make a gout connection that way. If we go toe to toe, literally, not figuratively, like if we go toe to toe, I'll be able to be like you got a gout toe. That's only that's if a- you only if it's inflamed. If it's not, it just looks like a normal toe. Yeah. And if you say that in the wrong country, they'll be like, I don't have a cat anywhere in this house. Well, yeah. If you say gout three times in the in the mirror, though, your uric acid explodes out of your knee. <laughs> a little less conversational, a little more couching. Boomer here. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Vince Vaughn's wild because he was not anyone that I remember even acknowledging as a person when I was 10 years old. I accidentally saw parts of the film Starsky and Hutch when I was oh, yeah. very young, where he's the bad guy, I think? He is the bad guy, yeah. yeah. Um, that's all I really kind of recognized him for. What's kind of funny is, like, a decade before, he's in a family movie, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's uh, Nick Van Owen. I, I don't know why that. I remember that. I don't know why you do either. Um, Nick Van Owen, but like, his... yeah, Steven Spielberg saw Swingers. This is true, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, he he was like, 
This is the next I want him big in thing. Lost World. And yeah. then and he, he's, his his deal in that movie is he chews gum. Yeah, and then off of off of that, or off of like the presumptive buzz of that, he's cast in Psycho. I like that movie a lot, and I kind of think that he is not a bad part of it, yeah. but maybe the worst performance in that movie <laughs> is Vince Vaughn. Yeah, Anne Heche is really good in that movie. Anne Heche is great. Julianne's I've, great. I've never actually made it all the way through that movie. I feel like I should sneak it into a spooktober just to like. Get well, he that. does after like Swingers, though. He Vince Vaughn has a stretch of like yeah, but he like like, makes, like weird movies. Like he's in that Ant. He's in like he's in the cell blockbusters. He's in cell. yeah the cell. He's in domestic disturbance with John Travolta. Like he 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 like goes a weird like psychological thriller route before he comes back around in yeah. old school. And they're like, oh, it's that's right. He was funny. That's why people liked him in in Swingers. And then he. But what's funny is is that now he's hit a point in his career where he is doing psychologically disturbed stuff and it's working. Like Ryan Selbach is so Selbrock. good. Yeah, he's great. It's great. I, I've heard he's really good, and I haven't seen Dragged Across Concrete, but I've heard he's really good in that as well. Those movies are obviously very like touched by toxicity because of like the writer director and having Mel Gibson in them. But like yeah. I, because I love Bone Tomahawk and Cell Block Thirteen is so good. Like I'm going to eventually watch Dra- uh, Dragged Across Concrete. Also, I fucking hate that that writer is good. Craig Zoller is a good enough writer that I'm like. Character Cost Concrete is a really fucking good title. <laughs> yeah, it's well, really and he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's really good and freaky. Like, I loved freaky. I, but like, I think what we're kind of like, we keep coming back to is like, there are good concepts that like, like you, you have to put the time in and really like focus on and, and just and put your deserved attention to. But like Vince Vaughn talking to <laughs> a little kid and t- fast talking at him and like little kids won't be able to understand it. I barely can give enough of a shit to understand it because he does sound like, I don't know, a particularly annoying family member. Um, he sounds like, like that uncle. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes. Yes. And that's the thing is like, I like him talking that way to a kid could be funny if the scripting is really tight and he knows the right time to take a break or the editing creates breaks so you can kind of like digest what he's saying. Instead, he's just chucking dialogue at little kids. And and, and I understand that it's actually very funny. Like I've seen lots of movies that like kids movies that rely on like what if an adult just bombards children with information that is just way too adult for them. Like, yeah, that can be very funny. Right. Well, it, but it needs to be shown from the kids. Mind. If it's for a kid, though, it needs to be shown from the kid's perspective. Like, yes. theoretically, Vince Vaughn berating a child can be funny from an adult perspective because adults can recognize like, oh, it's like a, almost a fantasy of how you don't get to talk to children. Chi- to children and like the the comedies and that, but like a kid won't recognize this as funny because it is a hundred percent from Vince Vaughn's perspective. And what kid finds it funny to be like talked down to and have a TV stolen by this weird figure who's being a jerk to you? Like so, yeah. so that's the and other, the fact that the that's one of the other things I love about the Santa Claus films is even though you're following a bunch of adults working, you always have kids on screen. Yeah, Charlie has a perspective of the whole thing. And also, just as actors, you have kids on screen. where Kids doing things, performing yes. actions, being key players in the plot, they're heroes, I, they're, when I saw they're, the, they're, they're goofballs, they're everything. When I saw the Santa Claus 3 in theaters, which, oof, that was another movie that I'm like, is this bad? No. No, it can't be. 
but yes, it it's 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 perfect cursed Christmas because it is eminently watchable, and I laugh at a lot of different points. But it's a horrific movie. It has per per hour more Martin Short than any other Santa Claus film ever has, which is a compliment. Exactly, it's a good thing to have. It's a good thing to have. Um, I, I you could do a lot worse, but. Like, literally, when I was a kid, again, like, to go back to my first time watching Fred Claus, I was about 10 years old, maybe a little bit more or less. Um, and what was so weird about it is I was watching it with my family around the Christmas season. I'm like, this is doing the opposite of getting me in Christmas cheer. And, you know, I still annually, with and without my family, will watch Elf and Polar yeah. Exp- uh, I I will probably rewatch Polar Express this year. I don't care. It's a terrible. I, I, movie, I, I, I like I like the Polar. It is a yeah. terrible movie that I very much enjoy. I have a tradition of every year, and I'm doing it this upcoming Saturday. Um, yeah, as we're recording this, you got to get a lot of eggnog. I I every year host a party where me and some of my friends get together and it's called wine actually and during the course of watching <laughs> love actually you have to drink a full bottle of wine by yourself perfect yeah. yep that's, do you that's get to be in the actually, same do you get to be in class. the same room as everyone or is it like seven minutes in heaven with you and a bottle of wine it, it, <laughs> it, it, it was you gotta go drink it by yourself come back you in drink the pan- it all you get to watch pandemic, love actually it was very private now it's yeah. we're back to fully in person and oh it's going to be ugly we have my friend that's a long movie that's pretty good that's like that's like a glass of wine every 25 to 30 minutes exactly and uh, my friend um one of my good friends is uh not much of a drinker but she's coming anyway because she's going to be the commissioner and <laughs> judge you gotta, people's you gotta have a commission you gotta have a commission yeah. you couldn't get michael chiklis <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where like if you find a christmas movie that like puts you into the christmas spirit and makes you like a hundred percent feel yep. that like childlike sense of wonder yeah it's a great time even if it's a bad time yeah yeah the yeah maybe one of the corniest songs ever written for a movie is the song that the the poor kid the impoverished kid sings in polar express on the back of the train. He's like, that's all I want oh, yeah. when Christmas comes to town. And I'm like, that's ridiculous and sad and terribly written. But also, I tear up every time. Yeah. El- Elf has- I love the Christmas town, too. When they go through yeah. that Christmas town on the train, yeah. like, yes, everyone looks like a fucking weirdo alien. But, like, the train looks fucking cool yeah. going through Christmas town. But it's also having those kids do, th- like, Elf has those, like, miniature scenes of the brother who or the half brother who I think is a very fun character, but then also like that little girl who wants a playset at the dentist or at the doctor's office, and she yeah. comes back and says thanks, buddy, and it makes you borderline sob. Yeah, like good Christmas movie. My all time favorite Christmas movie with a silver bullet is Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, mm-hmm. the original, and I love the remake with Mary Wilson. Yeah, the original is the original is so good. I, I, I finally saw it for the first time last year. Both are great. I mean, honestly, like the Mara Wilson version has a different story to it at times, so it kind of works. Yeah, um, like it's a little bit updated for the '90s, but the it's a little too '90s. It is. I think it's the problem. But the original version is so good, so yeah. smart, and understands that. If we want a movie about Santa Claus, we need Natalie Wood. Yeah. Yeah. 
What Fred Claus kind of misses is having a young person in the room. And Bobby J. Thompson as Slam, Fred's, like, semi-adopted foster kid, is great because he's the only person that actively, like, cares about Santa and wants him to visit or else. Yeah. Everyone else in this movie feels like it's a corporate annoyance. Even, like... yeah. I mean, and that's no magic. They spend so much fucking money on the Christmas village and and shrinking the elves. Yeah. Like, they have a weird dance scene that's for nobody. Whereas, like, okay, so, like, I'll I'll say this. Like, in the Santa Claus movies, even in the the second, I'm not going to say the third, the second Santa Claus movie, where for some reason, like, they get a new cute kid. Who she's adorable. She is adorable. yeah, Yeah. But in the second Santa Claus movie, they know, like, okay. The North Pole, you do, like, a splash of the initial image, and then you stick to, like, Santa's got a bedroom, they've got a factory floor, and then they've got a main square. Like, they know set design, like, use economy of of, of scale. Um, Fred Claus, like, lacks any sense of place when you're in the North Pole. It's just, like, they blew money to keep building this, like, n- these North Pole streets, but it has no specific vision. And, like, let's dial it back even more to Elf, which is a $33 million, like, special effects comedy at the beginning and the end, at least. Um, special effects comedy. But they knew exactly how to spend their bucks to make the North Pole evocative and beautiful and... That like whitewash look that they have on everything, yeah, it's great. Like, it's so great. Like in its own way, this is gonna sound cringy, but like in its own way, it's as good as like the shit they do in like Blade Runner, where they're like, "How do we find a way to evoke a space with uh, minimal minimal uh, uh, inputs?" And then they're like, "Okay, uh, in this particular in this particular space." All we're doing is adding these like small little touches and we're going to make the space dark and have and have blinds like that's all we're doing for this space. Like in its own way, it's as evocative and it makes you feel a sense of place as movies that spent way the fuck more money to create their imaginary space. And that's 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 amazing. Um, But this movie, there's no sense of space and they just create like depth and, and and and. broadness and there's no like i never feel like i know what the north pole looks like because they no one made design decisions they were just like it's a cute little village with fake snow yeah and there's Um, cliffs and you look off over stuff yeah yeah. no i think you i think you hit the nail on the head you want to you want a good christmas movie you need a natalie wood type character you want a safe boat ride you got to leave natalie wood at home yeah (laughs) those are the two rules of life that i hope that we've learned also leave billy zane too He's never been on a boat and things end well. No. No. I mean, I think he's probably been on boats that went fine. Titanic. Dead calm. <laughs> okay. That would be very funny if, like, he, like... Dead calm's not the name of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, very funny if he's, like, in Miami. They're just, like, going out to, like, smoke cigars out in the ocean or whatever, drink some, drink some tequila. And then, like, for some reason, the boat sinks. They're all going back safely on the dinghy. He's like, sorry, guys, I told you I should have stayed home. I really, really. So the, the kind of the last thing I just want to note, and then we can go to final thoughts or have other scenes. But, like, I, I do think, like, the quintessential, like, why this movie's for no one. Again, PG, fan, it ends in a heartwarming moment. There's a big dance scene with Vince Vaughn and all the elves. That's followed by his intervention. 
Which right there from a kid's movie perspective, like, of course he needs an intervention. Kids know what an intervention is. Uh, they, they love it. During the intervention, everything goes off the rails and Mrs. Claus makes jokes about how Santa is too fat to get an erection and have sex with her. Yes. And, like, who is – but it's coded because it's PG. Like, who is that for – the parent that has to sit there and go, like, the, the the kids are like, okay, there's so much in the scene. Like, you have to explain what a fucking intervention is and then, like, what ED is, like, to your kid to get through this scene where he's just angrily like, I'm never going to see you guys again. After this, I don't care if you die. It's like, what a great – you definitely hit the mark on the angry guy at, Santa, at Christmas time. Like, it is – it's for no one. It's like – it just is, it's such, it's so bad. We already touched on the weirdness of Rachel Vice in that se- sequence, where there's not a single joke, like the easiest joke to make in that sequence. Oh my god, I'm in the North Pole, Santa or Claus to, is real. Or to get a little, it's a joke, but to Peter's earlier point about no spectacle, no space, they spend a ton of money on the North Pole, and you're never wowed by it, even for a second, doesn't evoke any Christmas yeah. thing, or anything like that you by having her just show up in a seat at the intervention like you also you don't get any jokes you also are missing the most important part of a christmas thing which is like get a christmas moment where someone is wowed by it and they miss it because because when vince vaughn comes when fred claus comes he's not wowed by it he hates fucking being there 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 are the and when he shows up and also notably when he shows up on christmas day she's like how'd you get in the house and he's dressed as santa like yeah it's nothing has clicked with her. And I don't yeah. know if anybody, when they were making this movie, like, even thought, like, wouldn't this be kind of funnier if we're going to do this whole corporate Santa thing where there's, like, a corporation that controls magic or whatever? Wouldn't it be kind of funnier if everyone knows Santa is real, but it's kind of just over the bullshit? Okay, here's like, the thing. There's seeming... like, you know, like, that could at least be subversive in some it's, it's way. Something. This, this movie, which I, the only thing I give this script credit for. Not once does anyone ever doubt the existence of Santa Claus. No. At all in this movie. I have never seen that in a movie before. But I feel like they just didn't get around to it. Like, I don't think anyone believes in Santa. It's like, they just never took anything seriously enough to, like, put any thought into it. They're like, it's the same thing with the saint thing, right? Like, he's a saint. What does that mean? I don't know. He lives forever. So does Fred. Like, it's just nothing. Um, you know, it's, that's exactly like the weirdness of it, but I, the, the, there are two scenes where characters enter the North Pole. One is when Fred arrives via the sleigh in the beginning. And then the other is when he arrives via helicopter and Sherpa. I know that (laughs) it's almost certainly an Inuit native person to the North Pole area, but yeah, I'm not going to give them enough credit for that. That's because they shrunk him down with CGI. No, he like that's not a that's a I know. that's a false okay. <laughs> but it's just one of those things where I'm like, sure, um, sure, yeah. But also like like there's so many jokes they could have made about like him having like a, a a fucking drug mule friend who like agreed to take him to the North Pole. Like they could have made an adult version of this is funny. 
And they could have recast Vince Vaughn and picked someone who has any appeal to children and made a children's version of this movie about feeling underappreciated as a sibling. So, so like, children get that. I grew yeah. up in a family of four. At various times, I felt like the golden child. At various times, I felt like, you know, like the like little black sheep runt or whatever. I mean, oh, know? my sibling rivalry is like the biggest problem in my household right now. It's constant. It's just like yeah. that is such a universal theme of like, why does this person get something? Why did you know that someone else doesn't get? And so the idea that one's a saint who becomes Santa Claus is on paper a universally good kid theme that they don't do anything with because all of their fights are adult focused like they're 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 you know they're like i hate my parents and like you know i'll send you a gift over my dead body it's like that's it doesn't it's not the right tone and again if it's if it's if it's an adult pg movie that you're adult that adults can bring your kids to and like that was like their their idea again there's no production information so who knows but like that's not a terrible idea making a make an adult movie that you're allowed to bring your kids through with your with your parents favorite stars and stuff like that then it needs to be funny because it's not funny like you you can make a pg funny movie and this is not it it's not humorous at all and how can you be funny when you don't commit to a single concept, to anything yeah. right like you don't you commit to nothing half the movie is them being like doing a setup to a joke and it's like how did the chicken cross the road and you're like well my fucking asshole brother and you're like, what do you like they feel like they're setting something up that's part of the reason that this movie is so frustrating the, fu- the, the it, thing it is it is just constantly setting up something that it doesn't deliver on and then in between you're extending patience to be like you're like Okay, well, I guess this Rachel Vice thing is going to come back and be rewarding. And then when it comes back and it's absolutely nothing, like he's just going to win her for no fucking reason at the end of the day. Like, go back to Jeffrey Dean Morgan, girl. Go back to Jeffrey Dean. Go. I do think that 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 again. It's good that our podcast is not a normally a bad movie podcast or like a really bad movie, like movies that we legitimately don't like because, you know, I've listened to bad movie podcasts and one thing they do is they usually bring a lot of energy with like, this is so fucking, you know, but blah, 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 blah. Like that's the energy they bring. And I, I always feel like, Peter, when we do movies like this or Santa with muscles, we just end bummed out and exhausted <laughs> by it. Like we really are just like – like, because we don't consider a bad movie a poorly made movie that we had fun with. But, like, the real bad movies like this are just, like, it is a little bit of a bummer. And the funniest part that came out of watching this movie is your letterbox review, which made me actually laugh out loud because I just understood exactly. I'm probably the only person that, like, I don't know if that joke was specifically for me. Um, but it but it was like you gave it a star and you said i watched this for my podcast we love to watch (laughs) and i like i like i i like i i literally saw that and just started laughing because like shauna was like what's so funny and i couldn't even try to explain it but like because i just understood exactly what you were feeling in that moment like this was i did not love watching this i didn't i did i disliked it and i had fun like like it is it's fun to do these types of movies it's fun to have a podcast that covers fred Kloss. it's great to have liam on and share our weirdo memories about this movie but man like this movie and we've done two now that are just like i'm very excited to talk about the elf suicide special or whatever because at least (laughs) that is bonkers enough for for us to uh 
to have something oh, that we we're oh we, that's that's a blast. Also, there's you there's that's gonna have 40. so many. That's gonna be one of our few episodes that has trigger warnings. And be like, to be clear, we are not making fun of suicide. Uh, Aaron, we are we are making fun of Alf covering it. <laughs> Aaron, I know it's your Midwesternness, but yeah. you say Alf and Elf the exact same way. <laughs> yeah. So when and we we went. I'm just gonna say alien life form. Okay, no, alien, is that fine? Well, we went through ALF. This, we went through this form. accidentally earlier, where I thought you said the Elf suicides Chris or Christmas suicide special. I'm like, what's that? Alf. Yeah, it makes more sense. I got the director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have to it's say, a, it's a I bonus. It's a bonus uh, feature on the Cowboys versus Aliens movie. <laughs> oh wait, I, I want to dive into um, John Favreau for like half a second, just because of yeah. his collaboration with Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a pretty good contrast in almost every way. This movie is a pretty good contrast to Elf, which yeah. cost a third of the budget. Mm-hmm. Is nine times as good um, does does and it copies so many jokes from it too and it, it has really nothing does. new to say yeah like the him being tall yeah but yeah so like like kind of like wrapping wrapping shit up like yeah. the the this is for me like my final thoughts this is a four quadrant movie that's actually for none of the four quadrants right <laughs> like yeah this is this is a movie where Vince Vaughn doesn't get to be that sort of like vulnerable, sweet kind of big dumb teddy bear who just yeah. doesn't know when to put on a show. Aaron yeah. said, "Yeah, um, he doesn't. Also, doesn't give you the fast talking, cynical asshole that like you know maybe like uh, adult men would enjoy or adult women would enjoy. Like he also doesn't get to be um, a sweet, appealing childhood figure to, to kids. He's actually." fairly aggressive um, he, he also isn't the vince vaughn that murders marion crane in a hotel which honestly the, the kids they would be so in, in in for that they one of the kids especially kids um okay that said generation at, hey at um, least Nor- norman Os- or not norman osborne norman, <laughs> Bay- norman bates had a better uh, relationship with we don't need mom. another sex pest well, here had a n- better relationship with his mom than vince vaughn does in this movie Norman. Norman's the dad. It's Willem Dafoe, not a sex pest. Oh, I thought it was the kid. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Willem Dafoe yeah, I said is Norman Bates. No, 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 because you accidentally said Norman I know, Osborne, I said Norman And Osborne. Peter was thinking Harry Osborne, James Franco. Yeah. Yeah, Got James it, yeah. Franco. Um, we recently did a James Franco movie. No, I, I, listened, to... I listened to your Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and yeah, you you towed that, that needle. <laughs> you you towed that line well, and I went in and said, "Oh, here's the line. Let me pull this with me in the first ten minutes." <laughs> um, but no, I I know exactly what you mean about like the familial lack of approach to this movie. Again, I watched this with. Both my parents and my younger brother, who was probably mm-hmm. seven or eight at the time, <laughs> and none of us left that theater happy. Yeah, <laughs> how could you? It, it literally was just a it, it. It was a disappointment of a movie because it's like that appealed to no one. My mom, you know, my my parents who loved the movie Sideways didn't enjoy it for Paul Giamatti. My, I had seen Superman Returns in theaters the year before, and I was not interested in the fact that, which this movie references Superman so often for some Warner Brothers propaganda. 
I, that was in my notes, and I'm like, we don't, we're not even going to bother addressing the Warner no, Brothers of it. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. But the, only, the only thing I want to say really quickly about that moment, like, it does the Santa Claus 2 thing, and it gets it wrong. Like, so there's a point in Santa mm-hmm. Claus 2 where Santa Claus wins over everyone by giving them the toy they always wanted. But it's like – Yeah, and they, like the teacher's just, lounge scene, right? In the teacher's lounge it's scene, so, great, great I scene. Love I love that, that scene so much. But that is literally about, like – the fact that these adults went on and lost the joy that was in their life and and lost the part that makes Christmas special, which is about, you know, that little thing that was going to make your world different if you woke up and saw it under the Christmas tree. And giving them all of those things all at once in this sweet moment is what's important about that scene. And this takes that idea and it's like just the fact of him having the cape that he didn't have when he was a kid is all that matters. But he never let go of not having the cape. Yeah. The whole point about the Santa Claus 2 thing is that they don't realize that this is something they missed. They move on. They moved on from those childhood desires. He has held on. Kevin Spacey's character has held on to the fact that he never got this cape and he really wants this cape. You're a fucking – you are in charge of Santa Claus. Go buy the cape. I, I, the other thing, though, is it, it does feel – I. I I do kind of enjoy the fact that this whole movie feels like a personal vendetta. <laughs> Where the bad guys, plural, because I include the only mentioned like twice in this episode, Kathy Bates as yeah, Fred and Santa's mom yeah. in a performance that is not bad, but a character that is utterly wretched. Yeah. <laughs> They're bad mom. Bad, bad mom who never comes back around and be like, I honestly, appreciate you as Honestly, much. I would call this a bad mom's Christmas. This is mm. a bad mom's Christmas. Wow. Yeah, you should right? call a movie that. <laughs> <laughs> Did but, you know that when Peter watched that last year, he, not, he didn't know there was a movie called Bad Moms? Did not know it was a was sequel like, to another movie? I, I was like, I guess there's a movie about bad moms who are having a Christmas. And I watched it, and there were there was so little shoe leather. I was like, "It's a great." Both of those are very fun movies where it's just like, "Yep, this is." An I think I I think I told you where you're like, you know, and I appreciated it because we didn't. They just went ahead and did the bad moms. We didn't have to know anyone. I'm like, Peter, it's a sequel. <laughs> no. <laughs> have you since watched the first Bad Moms? I I I kept myself pure. Yeah, decent movie. Yeah, it's it's I'll not terrible. Out. I'll check it out some. I always end up coming around yeah. to. I'll, I'll be on a plane probably in go. the next few months, and I'll, I'll, I'll it'll be in the. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> seasonal, which makes it even more timely. But yeah. no, it is just it is so fascinating that this is a movie about like characters holding on to grudges for decades, if not centuries. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what you did by bringing it here. Uh, honestly, this is a movie <laughs> that I have had negative feelings about for the last fifteen years, and said. Yeah. Time to finally air them and inflict yeah, you were, these you were so quick to say Fred Claus, Fred Claus, Fred Claus. Fred. I mean, you were – this is uh, this is in some ways like no, I, exercising I, I, your Christmas demons, getting them out and making sure that you can have a good time watching the Polar Express and love actually. I, I also knew that this was a movie that everyone would have some fun talking about but certainly not have fun watching. Which yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had a I had a blast. Like thankfully we have now tonight. Yeah, but watching the movie, I was like, <laughs> we have thankfully no, gone still fucking happening. As, as as far as the recording, we've gone longer than the actual run. I know we're movie. we're we're fucking David Dobkins. <laughs> um, I, right. I once again, I've I've dragged all of your episodes that I've been on past the two hours. It's because we Liam. It's because we have a blast talking to you. Thank <laughs> you so much for being on the show. Last fun. 
And I, apo- yeah, try to I apologize to your fans for uh, listening to this for an extra couple 30 minutes. Uh, Pete, Aaron, I apologize for nothing. Bring me back and I'll talk longer next time. <laughs> we, we will absolutely bring you back. We're not going to – you are actually our, – our, what's funny is you're not only our first guest to record on video because we only started that a couple months ago. You're, I think, our first guest besides Ryan for the Spooktober stuff on actual episode in like seven or eight months. Like we've been – we've been – um really lean on that because our schedules have been tight. We're not months ahead as we used to be. So, uh, so first of all, it was fantastic having you on, but it was also great. You being our first guest, uh, in like a long time, it was, you know, it feels so natural. And again, thrilled that you uh, wanted to join us in video and see our fun shirts, NASA (laughs) brothers and Brigsby bear. You can guess who has what. Um, (laughs) I I appreciate always my semi or my annual ish at this point. Yeah. Uh, arrival and get to screw around with you two and yeah. talk with it's been the. So fun. I mean, I I'm a I'm a listener as well as a, a guest, so it's always fun and it's sad that I'm not going to be able to listen to your episode on Fred Claus because I don't need to hear the dumb thoughts that I voiced today. <laughs> but it's oh, it'll be a good one. I think Saturday. I think you should listen. Uh, the well, good news. Uh, the good news is that all of this is said at the end of the episode, where people hear, "Oh, even he didn't listen he, to he it." Didn't listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you get you get the credit, but then they're like, "Even this guy." Yeah. <laughs> so if since Liam didn't listen to this episode, and if you want to hear more from Liam, Liam, where where can they go to find your work? Um, I have been uh, lax with my film criticism lately. I covered some of the 2022 New York Film Festival for The Nocturnal. Mm-hmm. But you could find most of my writing linked through my Twitter or my letterbox, both of which are Haber345, which is H-A-B-E-R 345. And awesome. you can find links to basically everything from there. And the links are also in the show notes, so please check them out there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what we end up. Liam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I hope your Christmas party coming up is fantastic. I hope you, you know what, uh, drink, uh, a bottle of wine on me. I think that would be great. I'm not going to pay for it, but just, you know, think about me as you're drinking your bottle of wine in the closet away from people. And then when you rejoin everyone, I don't know, get another bottle of wine. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, the the challenge is if you drink two bottles of wine during the course of the movie, you get a prize. So, oh wow, Pete, uh, Pete this is, is the, a is the prize awful red wine nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> All right, good night, Merry Christmas, good. Merry Bye. Christmas. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>